I was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot in a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars, skags. Wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish. That every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. That every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. That every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels Wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming scheme. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lime bean. I wish that I could spread my wings. I wish that I had seven limbs. Yeah. That way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kind of understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. Yeah. I wish I was an astronaut. I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, and every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, and every time we move it, it feels just like this. Feels just like this. It's just, it's like, like who the donkey? We would turn some dumb shit into something that got everybody wild in our circumference. Make assumptions, it ain't nothing new. Fuck a mile, fuck a you. I've been chewing through these rappers. Flavors last time. The Debrief. I am your host, Brianna Joy Gray, and I am very excited to be joined today by Socialist MMA, Nick from the Revolutionary Blackout Network. Uh, I don't see him in the chat, but I'm going to look and bring him up as soon as I spy him. But I am going to start by just giving a brief update on what's been going on with the latest episode of Bad Faith. As you are probably well aware, sorry, let me go ahead and fade the rest of that music out because even I'm getting distracted by it. As you were probably well aware, this week's episode was about uh, this conversation that's been broiling over the last week or so about whether or not the left should respond to the right wing's charges to defund the FBI with a degree of seriousness. Specifically, I've been you know, working on an argument and hoping to get some feedback from uh, the experts that we had on today's show about whether or not the left could and should take ownership of this by putting forward their own legislation, thereby cutting off potential arguments that say, well, if you say you simply agree with the premise of defunding the FBI, you open yourself up to having to go along whatever the uh, go along with whatever the most kind of right wing version of that plan would be. Um, and so I'm going to play a brief clip. Uh, this, of course, is uh, the latest episode. It's a premium episode. You can find it at patreon.com slash badfaithpodcast, or you can find a, a good little clip, I think 15 to 20 minutes long, over at Bad Faith YouTube. Appreciate all subscriptions over at Bad Faith YouTube. Um, so it's Alex Vitale, the author of End of Policing, and he's also a professor of sociology at Brooklyn College. 
and Alex Carrick Katsanis, who's a civil rights lawyer and co-founder of Equal Justice Under Law, who is also right now uh, big on Twitter because he's been going back and forth with Anna Kasparian over a recent segment she did about some criminal justice issues. And we can talk about that as well if you would like. But as I mentioned, here's a quick clip. We'll get into it and I will bring Nick up to the stage. Here we go. I mean, I think there's room for some rhetorical conversations, and I think we need to be listening to what the right is saying. But these folks also, you know, a lot of them are very open to fascism, it, whether it's an eco-fascism or a white nationalist fascism or patriarchal fascism. So there's a lot of ideological inconsistency and confusion here. And so they are dangerous, and we should be careful about any kind of political allegiance with them. Now, listen, I go to lectures at the Cato Institute, a very important conservative uh, libertarian uh, outpost, you know, think tank, and I listen to their ideas, but I'm not really interested in being in a deep political alliance with them uh, at this moment. Alex, what does that mean? Because here's, I, I recently had a, a conversation with uh, Jen Uger over at Young Turks, and he made a similar point. I, you know, we there's a risk of you know validating them or having an, an alliance with them or being pulled to the right because of them. But to me, that's only possible if the left doesn't create its own agenda and ask them to join in. And I, I struggle to see the drawbacks, and perhaps you can explain them to me. I'm really struggling to see the drawbacks of the left in this moment, of all of our abolitionists and all of the people who have, um, you know, both the technical and historical knowledge to come up with a plan for reform, abolishment, whatever it is, to sit down and draft a legislation that they would want to see on the left and call these people to go ahead and sign on to it, call these conservatives to go ahead and sign on to it. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. If they won't, then we have an argument that we are the ones that really own this issue. We are the ones that really want to protect uh, vulnerable people against uh, a political institution that's used to target folks for political reasons. And they, we've called their bluff. If they do sign on to it, great. We got, we got a bipartisan bill to actually do a good thing. And, and, and I'm, I think everything that you're saying, obviously, about the openness to fascism and white supremacy and all of these things is obviously true. But why not take yes for an answer here? <laughs> So I want to play one other clip just because I think in this one, um, Alex, sorry, we had an Alex and an Alec on this episode, which uh, really challenges me to pr be on top of my pronunciation. But Alex Vitale was uh, making some substantive arguments about the kind of legislation that is already out there. He mentioned specifically, I remember the Breathe Act, among some others. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't have an opportunity. We were in a little bit of a, a abbreviated time frame. Both guests had a heart out. But I didn't have an opportunity to push back as much as I might have liked on whether or not that legislation really captures the spirit of abolishing the FBI. And also we could have talked a little bit about why that legislation, some of which has become part of the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, which, of course, has not been passed, um, you know, why it has stalled the way it has. And why, if that, you know, was something that, you know, a lot of social justice advocates were talking about and pushing for, especially in the wake of 2020 and going into Biden's um, election, even if those are not the solutions that some people are calling for in terms of abolishment of the FBI right now, why don't we hear more vocal 
um, vocally from members of the squad and other progressives in Congress about those bills in this moment. Why aren't they using this call to reform the police? Not just this, but with Uvalde, with this recent video that's circulating about of a homeless man in, I believe, Arkansas, just getting absolutely pummeled horrifically by three police officers. It seems event after event after event happens that really uh, is turning the public off of the police in a way that, frankly, years of advocacy haven't quite managed to do. There's a real hesitation to take advantage of this moment. So I want to play this next clip in which um, Alec and Alex uh, get into why they think that is. This idea that that like we should ask the right to join in on this legislation. I mean, like Alex said, we already have all this legislation. We have the Breathe Act. We have the People's Response Act. These are acts that are introduced. These are acts that are, are supported by those very people you're just talking about. We should be talking about them and talking about why they're good for people. And So why aren't they, Alec? Why, why haven't I seen Ayanna Presley grandstanding on TV about the Breathe Act? What's going on behind the scenes is very scary right now. You've got Democratic leadership particularly leadership in the, in the Progressive Caucus and the Congressional Black Caucus at the um, sort of at the behest of Pelosi and Maloney and sort of the leaders of the Democrats, they are trying to force people to get in line. You've got mm-hmm. Biden going out and saying, I want 100,000 new cops. I want to I reprise the 94 crime bill. Democratic leadership is going around threatening people all over the caucus and saying, don't deviate from us, right? We have ways of punishing you. We want sort of message solidarity on this. We want more cops. We want more prisons. We want more investments in the punishment bureaucracy. Like what's going on is very scary here in D.C. I think the reason you're not seeing people is like people are scared of stepping out from the sort of and and of all of the ways in which the Democratic Party establishment controls access to to campaign fundraising, um, the ways in which they can control control the consultant class that that helps on people's campaigns, et cetera. There's all kinds of levers that are being pulled to scare people on the left. From actually coming out and saying what Biden is proposing at a moment of unprecedented criminalization of reproductive health, he's proposing to, to give DeSantis several thousand more cops. All right. So I really like that he came back around to that at the end. I really like that people who are fairly close, I think, to the squad who are the member members and founders of organizations that are, you know, in relationship with sitting Democrats and trying to get legislation um, passed are increasingly willing, as Alec was just there, to, to call out the corruptive mechanisms that are keeping them from speaking out in this moment. And I really appreciate him doing for doing so. We have Nick in the house. Welcome so much. Uh, welcome and thank you so much for coming back to the podcast. Hey, Bree. Hey, can you hear me? I can, loud and clear. How have you been? Hey, hey, Bree. Hey, I'm good. I'm good. It's good. Uh, it's good to chat to you again, especially about this topic. Because uh, <laughs> I remember um, you made the point about uh, working with people who agree with you on this issue. And once again... <laughs> So many people misunderstood the very basic point I think you was making. And I feel like a lot of people are, are misunderstanding the point that we are trying to make when, in terms of coalition building with some conservatives who agree with us on this issue. And I, I, I can start by saying this. Um, like when, when Marjorie Taylor Greene and when you hear Republicans say boss the FBI, we all know they're posturing, right? Just because mm-hmm. they're playing the red-blue game. Uh, they they saying this to, to to protect a boy, right? Yep. But 
the people, and as you explained, the people who support Marjorie Taylor Greene are the people that we're trying to bring on our side with common sense policies, as you brought up. A lot of people don't know, um, three out of 10, I reported this on RBN, three out of 10 Republicans support the idea of defunding the police when asked, do they believe that we should reallocate police funding to social programs? Three out of 10 is a great number. Mm. Mm. And those are, and not, that's not Marjorie Taylor Greene. These are ordinary voters, our neighbors. Those are the coalitions that we should be trying to build to accomplish that goal. I just want to add, I'll, I'll start with that. Always good to talk to you, though, Bree. Well, look, I want to tell people who don't already know, and I'm sure most people do, that they should absolutely go over and follow RBN on YouTube right now. I just caught a part of the stream you just came off of where you were talking about um, this this kind of uh, text thread, I guess, uh, between firefighters that went sort of viral because a firefighter was talking about police and finding and about how she find you know they find them to be ineffective, um, not protecting and serving at all. That they ended up having to do a lot of the kind of first response work for officers um, who had gotten sick. You know, I understand there was a lot of mixed opinions about the protocol and the CDC recommendations around uh, masking and such, but who basically took absolutely no precautions against COVID whatsoever and consequently were burdens to the healthcare system and all these other kinds of things. And it really shows a realignment that's happening uh, where not it's not just liberals who are out here being, or people who are kind of elites or academics who are out here being critical of the police in this moment. It's a really great stream. You guys talk about a lot of other stuff. Uh, but I wanted to talk to you specifically about this topic because it does seem to me that there's a lot of squeamishness among, I don't know if you want to call it the boutique left or what. There's <laughs> a lot of squeamishness about this, <laughs> about this issue, <laughs> even though there wasn't the same amount of sque- squeamishness about abolish uh, or, or defund the police. So what do you attribute that? And I think just a lot of them, they've been dragged to the right. And th- this project was to infiltrate the Democratic Party. That was the whole uh, modus operandi was to enter the party and drag them uh, to the left. But we actually seen the exact opposite happen. That gives me no pleasure to say. You now see them unanimously voting to expand NATO, voting for Ukraine funding. Like These people are being dragged to the right. And now defending the FBI because they want to have a got you over Donald Trump. And I don't know if you called this, you probably did because it was your debate, right? When you were talking to uh, Jake Uger. But one of the, I, and this is what they won't admit. One of the reasons why you had issue with your with your radar where you talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene and abolishing mm. the FBI is because he just simply doesn't support abolishing the FBI. Mm. I don't know if you caught that, but you, you, mm-hmm. you, I think you asked him straight up, you're like, will you support Bill? He's like, no, I actually wouldn't support that because that was help Trump. Mm-hmm. What? You guys mm-hmm. see how Trump derangement syndrome? <laughs> And it's convinced people to support the national security state that is being used against the left and the workers, as we predicted. Yep. Yep. It's it's extremely dispiriting because, and this came up a little bit on today's podcast, even if, okay, even if I believe that the FBI was the only institution that was capable of holding a former president, specifically Donald Trump, accountable, and even if it were the case that Donald Trump you know, this wasn't this kind of more superficial, um, you know, records retention issue, which, again, may become more important if we learn something about these records. But given the fact that he had them for so long, it's either an indictment on the FBI and the security state for letting him have them for so long or their documents weren't that important. You can't really have it both ways. 
So even assuming it was more important documents or a more important legal issue, you know, that he was going down for one of the other things that I would argue he's done that are much more substantive. And even if I thought the FBI was the only organization that could do it, neither of which is true, by the way, neither of which is actually true. I would still feel like we would have to have a serious conversation about whether it's more important for one person to go down, Donald Trump, than it is to have an opportunity to reform an institution that has caused such an enormous amount of harm to our communities as leftists and black people in particular in this country. And it is frustrating to me that that is dismissed out of hand. Go ahead, Nick. What I find very disheartening, and this is why a lot of activists turn against AOC in the squad. A lot of people don't understand it, but we see... Right-wing establishment is one to go to bat for their outside game. So do you remember during the January 6th trials where you had Republicans, like elected officials, who were speaking out saying that the people that the government was prosecuting that uh, protest that January 6th, they say, oh, my God, look at the government going after our people. Mm-hmm. They're going mm-hmm. after our people. Now you had the, the, the base paying Donald Trump because Donald Trump spoke out for the people who was targeted uh, for January 6th. And now they say about the FBI. Meanwhile, <laughs> on the left, mm-hmm. we can't get Nina Turner, Charles Booker, Jamal, black, black leftists mm-hmm. to speak out against the FBI raid of black socialists that's happening. You guys see the difference? Mm-hmm. And then why that, that, that makes me very frustrated. And I see you have the same frustration, which we, like, we've been glad to see you calling this out because there's a lot of people... That, that know these people and rough shoulders, these people, they just don't want to call it out. They know they they will get the, the janky. Ooh, you're you're breaking up a little bit, Nick. I'm not sure what's going on. I don't know if it's you raining where you are. It's raining where I am. When, <laughs> yeah, when you pray, when you, well, I always say pray, when you say Marty Taylor Green talking about the ball, heartbreaking. <laughs> like, people don't understand that. We Like, why do they stand with their baseball? We can't get uh, the progressive politicians to see eye to eye with their own, and that's where the frustration go uh, is, right, Bree? Yeah, I thought you made a, a yeah, I thought you made a great point on your show today um, with CJ. You were talking about this clip that K City QB clip. Shout out as always to K City QB. Yeah, he's uh, where it was a, I think it was MSNBC. Could have been CNN, but I think it was MSNBC roundtable where they were talking about Liz Cheney twenty twenty four. Oh Jesus! And, and and a Liz Cheney <laughs> AOC ticket. And you guys are making the point that you see evidence of this red brown alliance, alliance all over the place in the mainstream <laughs> media. This blue blue <laughs> blue red alliance, at the very least, this willingness to embrace people who were once described as fascists in our media cycle. Cheneys and Bushes and pr- promoting them as potential credible tickets on the Democratic Party ballot line. At the same time, they'll turn around and say, you know, that Bernie Sanders is a fascist. Bernie Sanders, you know, whose you know family was killed in the Holocaust or brown shirts. You know, his followers are brown shirts for simply identifying the fact that so many people who are conservatives similarly want, uh, you know, universal health care or a living wage or these kind of basic social programs. Yeah, we both in the chat just for yeah. saying that we should work with conservatives that agree with us. I remember during the March for Mecca for All, I was attacked for saying I wanted to march. I'm friends with anyone, even their Trump supporter. They support Mecca for All, and and we we are attacked. We are demonized yeah. because I live in a Bri, I live in a red state. If I look to my yeah. left and I look to my right, one of them are conservative. So the, the, I I notice a lot of these coastal elites. I'm sorry, I'm a Midwestern boy here. 
This is the coastal elite. Where are you calling from? Remind me, Nick. I'm in. I live in KC, Missouri. Right, right, right. Okay, KC, go ahead. Missouri. So I'm like we like we have no access to abortion. <laughs> That's how. Yeah. And the st- yeah. so there's I know there's these coastal elites. There's these people that live in New York, people who live in California, who live in these blue states where they say you can't build coalitions with people unless you have 100 percent ideological agreement. Which I don't like. I think that's the thing where they live. I don't know, Bree. I literally don't know. I don't know. have but, a hundred percent ideological commitment with members of the Democratic Party. <laughs> like, <laughs> that, that's not a thing. And look, I want to be sensitive to this. Like, I understand that concern about being pulled right. I'm not going to sit here and say that that is not a thing that can happen. But when you have an issue like this, where you have the opportunity to define your own terms, the whole point of what I'm yes. trying to get at is if you don't want people, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Whatever we do is out there saying the thing that is appealing to a lot of people on the left. And some people are going to go right because of the absence of the left saying anything or doing anything in this moment. So my argument is that if you want to define the terms, you go ahead and put forward your legislation. You say what the left's version of it is. Call her bluff because odds are she's not going to put out anything at all. But at least her rhetorical posturing is causing people to think that she's the real deal on that issue. You and the left won't rhetorically posture because they claim that that is – you know, validating Marjorie Taylor Greene instead of validating the left as the owner of these issues. And moreover, they won't do the best thing, which is to actually put forward real legislation that would call Marjorie Taylor Greene to the mat and force her to either put up or shut up. Bernie, imagine, I remember when I was canvassing for Bernie, he was Bernie's first secretary. I remember imagine if Marjorie Taylor Greene said, I support Marjorie Taylor, uh, sorry, she said, I support Medicare for all. And the left response mm-hmm. was, yeah, I know that sounds good, but we can't really trust her. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like either you support mm-hmm. the right bill or not. And that's the point you was making. Either put up the bill, put up or shut up. And, and one last point I want to make, I, I want to make this regarding the red, brown lines and Liz Cheney, because I showed a poll on our show today that showed 60% of Democrats view Liz Cheney favorably. 60%. That's an insane number. Liz Cheney. <laughs> so someone who believe in torture. Yeah. yeah. Someone who who was unapologetically racist or someone who just said he don't believe the le- that Donald Trump won. Sorry, that Joe Biden won the election. I think it's clear that which one is the worst uh, out of those. Like she's mm-hmm. literally a fascist. She's quite literally a fascist. So that's the point. Like they, the establishment is allowed to make the allies, these bedfellows and unite with them on Ukraine proxy wars but we're not allowed to work with people who are serious about abolishing the fbi i had conversations with conservatives well yeah where when you shift the conversation to the left like yeah if you look at the fbi and what they did they killed mlk that's that's messed up they're like yeah that's that is messed up that's another reason why we should abolish them that is what ordinary person would say boom mm-hmm. but the people who don't want to abolish the fbi because they have trump derangement syndrome they'll attack anyone who advocate for the right policy to get that done yeah, a hundred percent. Well, let's let's start taking some callers because uh, the queue is long. Uh, Eric, what's on your mind this evening? What's up? How you doing, Eric? Nothing much. So, uh, really quick, one of the things that I wanted to, uh, but after listening to the um, Bad Face product, uh, episode that you just released, one of the things that really kind of like upset me when they were talking was. There's this admitting, they admit that the left is weak in a certain way, that mm-hmm. when you talk about how 
what you want is the left to come up with a FBI abolished policy and put that on the table. Mm-hmm. I found it funny that immediately he went into, I don't know if he didn't hear you, but he went into, well, what if the right made, I don't want a Margie Taylor Green uh, FBI policy, but like, that's not what you originally said. You said, mm-hmm. I want the left to come up with the policy. And when I hear them talking, it's like, they keep talking about how like, oh, there's this fear that people are going to go down the right track. They're going to go down right. They're going to become more conservative. They're going to do this, that the right, the right is going to be, the right is going to right, 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 right. And all that, which to me just says, oh, so what the left has no ability to convince anyone whatsoever. Right. That's like an admitted, um, you know, helplessness. (laughs) Exactly. So yeah, I'm like, so what's the point of you? Like this is in an, I find it funny, like, this is hard work. Like, I always tell people, like, if you're on the left, you didn't simply choose to play this game on hard. You chose mm-hmm. to play this game on that level that you have to unlock once you beat the game with, if you get hit once, you die. You have chosen <laughs> to play the game on very hard because it's very, because we always understand it's human nature. Humans are, are easily, you know, succumb to fear and anger. Those are emotions that's very easy for us to, you know, um, I- if if you mind by chime in, I actually have a um I think this is also rooted in gleep in deep class antagonism. So you have a lot of boutique liberals and, and boutique progressives. They distrust workers in general. The idea that forming an alliance with someone who's to my right on other issues on one is gonna drive me to the right on other issues, how does that make sense? Mm. Like if I work with a conservative to defund the FBI. Would I suddenly become anti-abortion? Like, how God, how does that make sense? But I, I, I hear boutique people repeat this as a fact. If you work with conservatives, abortion will help. They're like, you can't work with these conservatives because it's, it's a slippery slope, Bree. And it's not if, ever if the other way. It, there's, said, no, there's no presumption that that process of osmosis could ever pull somebody left. Yeah. And, and they also, exactly. once again, it's, a, it's actually antagonizing workers. It's a deep distrust of workers because they believe if mm-hmm. workers come together, that will lead to over to window to shipping to the right. Why would anyone believe that? The only people who believe that are boutique people who have mm-hmm. no experience talking to ordinary workers. So they mistrust other workers come together. They just naturally think that will lead to a bad thing. That's, that's my perspective on that. Go ahead, Bree. No, I think that's right. And I also think it's it's a kind of, um, it's a lack of confidence in the human beings and the workers. And it's also a lack of confidence in your own ideas. And I see this a lot on the left, a lot with liberals. They have completely given up the idea of persuasion. They 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 couch it in, in the Trump era, at least, they couch it in these terms of, you know, they're deplorables that can't be convinced. You know, let's just pretend that, you know, like a huge percentage of them didn't vote for Barack Obama. You know, like they 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 had this rhetorical framework in 2017 to pretend as though all of these people that shifted right, that shifted right to make us go from a country that had voted for Obama to to Trump, that those people were completely irredeemable, that having been uh, voting for 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 uh Trump was a mark of Cain and you could never wash off that particular sin because it was a convenient narrative that absolved them, you know, you know, allow them to advocate any and all responsibility to actually get back in there and do the work of convincing people to do the alternative. And you see that more and more every day with democratic messaging, there is wrangling to try to figure out the demographic puzzle and how to, you know, hit the ads in the right suburbs to get the people to turn out on the right issues. But there is, 
absolutely no confidence in their ability to persuade. And I think that has something to do with the fact that so many liberals, and I talk about this on this show a lot, don't know why they believe what they believe. Because as much as I don't think that all of the cancel culture claims are real and all of that, I do think that there is an extent to which Democrats who are used to being in, in exclusively liberal environments their entire lives never actually train to defend what they believe. All they know is what's right and wrong, that it's wrong to be racist, that it's nice to, to like LGBTQ people and all of that, which is obviously correct, but they don't know how to defend nitty-gritty questions. Why is a specific thing racist? Why should I defend affirmative action? These, these things that are more liminal, and frankly, which even I have questions about sometimes. And so they don't fight. They don't convince. They don't have confidence in their own ideas. They don't believe they can persuade anybody because on an individual basis, they cannot persuade anybody. And they're allergic to the idea of people who have different views from them getting an airing because they don't know what to do with different views because they've never actually had to defend why they support the right to choose at Wesleyan. And I also think what I've realized, especially when you were talking, you had the Jank interview is I get sometimes they'll say that, yes, we are for convincing people. But I think what they're really for is, is they just waiting for someone to happen to trip over, let's say, a Young Turks video or uh, another like, you know, Sam Cedar video. And hopefully they'll listen to that and become convinced. They don't, they think, I think they believe, I think Jank truly believes, and other people kind of like Jank. I don't want to really put words in his mouth, but it feels like they think once you are someone who watched Joe Rogan, you mm-hmm. are too far gone. Yeah. I, and I do believe there's such thing as someone who is too, quote unquote, too far gone. Sure, at I, least not worth the effort. Yeah, I just think that that is a lot smaller percentage than they do. I think they say, oh, you watch Joe Rogan? Okay, I'm not going to deal with you anymore. You kind of listen to Ben Shapiro. I'm not even going to even bother with you anymore. And I just think that they, like, sometimes I feel like I just wish you would admit that, you know what? Just say that these are the, I have, these are, anyone who are already on my side, that's who I'm talking to and that's what I'm dealing with. I, I don't care about convincing. Just be that way. Yeah. And, and what else, uh, one of the things I wanted to um, point out is during your, uh, one of the things I like that you, um, I'm kind of rambling here, but one of the things that I like that you said was when you brought up the Ayanna, when they brought up the whole thing with Ayanna Presley and that bill that she had about FBI, because I didn't know about it. And it's something you bring up multiple times. I'm like, when it comes to the squad, it's that I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> so if I don't know what they're doing, yeah. like, like I see all the all I know is it seems like the, like the Nancy Pelosi of the world, the uh, the Joe Biden's of the world, the Joe Manchin's are getting what they want. They want, and the squad is getting nothing but crumbs, barely even that. And, and it's it, like so, it, where, where where where's the fight? Where's the what are we waiting for? What are we trying? Like I don't and I don't know. I would love it like it, if you would come out and say, well, what's the strategy? And I and it have to come and over the years, especially during COVID. What I had to come to conclusion is there is no strategy. Mm-hmm. There is no bigger thing. They, they, all, they, they seem like they just want Medicare for all to fall on our laps as easy as possible. Mm-hmm. Like they don't really want to, they don't really like, I truly believe if the squad got together and Bernie Sanders got together with every single leftist, we could have a, an effective general strike. I don't think they want to do that because mm-hmm. I think they are afraid 
of yeah. what that looks like. They are afraid of power. And that's one of my biggest issues with Elizabeth Warren. How because I that's when when I saw when Elizabeth Warren did what she did to Bernie Sanders, particularly mm-hmm. in 2020, I realized, oh, you don't care about actually getting power. You want mm-hmm. power the easy way. Because her power was always attached to Bernie Sanders winning. If because Bernie Sanders would have given because Bernie Sanders, I think, truly yeah. liked, truly yeah. believed. You're you are right, but I might only pause and kind of snicker to myself because I don't think in Elizabeth Warren's um, mind palace that was all at all the play at all the case. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> am, am I off base? Am I off base to say Elizabeth Warren was a plan for Joe Biden? And maybe you know more what the Bernie people was thinking, Bree. I never understood why people tried to make an alliance with Elizabeth Warren. Uh, she her, she made her career attacking Joe Biden. Because of her, his financial policy, his ties with Wall Street, mm-hmm. and you notice that he, she never laid a glove on him. Mm-hmm. That's literally how she made her career attacking the Biden administration. Sorry, the Barack Obama and Biden administration at the time. And then a, a, a certain point in the election, she went on the attack. She went on the attack when Mike Bloomberg was on the rise. Exactly. Now, why she did she do that? She did that because Mike Bloomberg was her and Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. And then when Bernie Sanders and uh, Biden was going head to head. When Elizabeth Warren was falling, she accused him of being the sexist. Um, yep. So I don't, I don't understand yep. the mindset behind anyone in the Bernie campaign trusting her. Um, a lot of people did. I gotta say, um, a lot of people thought of her as a like a legitimately good second choice. They saw her as a, you know, you know, there was some. I think a little bit of even envy, especially in, over the summer of 2019, when her camp was rolling out all those policies in such an organized manner, with you know corresponding media events and you know uh, video rollouts and stuff. And our campaign was having some issues because you know Bernie is Bernie, and he kind <laughs> of you know is not predictable. And when he okay stuff, and so there wasn't that same sense of coordination. And there was this feeling, and the media was really playing into this. That if you like these policies, why wouldn't you pick the female version who was also more organized and she hashtag has a plan for that? And it was a very scary summer because we were like falling behind in polls. She was rising. She got the New York Times endorsement. And I think a lot of people were kind of had had resigned themselves to the idea that she was a perfectly fine alternative. Yeah, we liked Bernie, but that she was a perfectly fine alternative. And that drove me crazy. That that was never my feeling. Because the second that Native American stuff hit, I was deeply skeptical. I'm sorry, what kind of person? That's sociopathic yes. behavior. Moreover, I was at the intercept in two thousand at the end of two thousand and eighteen and I wrote an article. Remember it's this thing got scrubbed from the internet. I talk about it all the time. I someone found it for me and I downloaded it to my hard drive so I can pull it back up somewhere. But she had this video that she put out there when she launched because she launched a little earlier than everybody else in two thousand and eighteen at the end of the year. And she put this video out that she obviously workshopped and put a lot of thought into and paid a lot of people money that they should refund it to her because they did not help her out. <laughs> and this video had uh, a bunch of Harvard professors, including uh, um, Professor Kennedy, who's black, sitting up there saying, well, we didn't hire her because of affirmative action. We hired her based on her merit, as though people who are hired for diversity rationale aren't also meritorious, just completely throwing the concept under the bus. Oh, and ignoring the real life record, she kept saying, well, this Boston Globe article from you know years ago exonerated me no 
read the Boston Globe article. The Boston Globe article is where you get all the juicy facts about how she's been lying about this her entire life. You can go back to her application to Harvard and show that she listed herself as a Native American. The Harvard Crimson, when she was hired, listed her as the first woman of color hire at Harvard University, at Harvard Law School. She was hired at first first as an assistant professor in the wake of Derrick Bell's strike over the fact that there was no black female faculty member. Uh. And that, that is the context that everybody wants to leave out. It was like it was like a year or two after that strike and walkout where Derek Bell was ultimately forced off of campus. And it, and it wasn't until about five years after Elizabeth Warren was hired when Lani Guineer, the actual first black woman or first woman of color, period, professor was hired at Harvard Law. But, you know, this is all revisionist history. So I didn't trust her then. And I had a meeting with her. Ryan Grimm had, had set up for some of us at the staffers to meet and have a conversation with Elizabeth Warren about a week or two after my article dropped about how she still doesn't get it. And we spent like half that meeting, just me and her going back and forth one-on-one and it was polite and it was civil, but she did not, she clearly did not understand what I was trying to tell her about why it was wrong for her to have done that. I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up because this was another infuriating thing. And this is why I say that liberals apologize for white supremacy the way that conservatives wish they could, the same way they apologize for the white supremacy of Jim Crow Joe. Because I don't know if you actually heard, I'm pretty sure you did, how actual indigenous Americans feel about Elizabeth Warren, especially Mm. indigenous leftists. They hate her guts. Mm. And they've been calling her out for years. and They don't have the platform to call out someone like Elizabeth Warren. They've been calling out for quite a long time. And I remember when I, when, I'm sure you was one of those people too, but I was one of the people like, she had a lot of issues. I'm going to get into that very soon. But that's, that should be a hard red line. Like, the indigenous community was extremely upset with her appropriating their culture and then benefiting from that economically. And then the reason why I say white liberals apologize for white supremacy like conservatives wish they could is because I still remember, and you probably do too, a liberals to this day saying, oh, come on, that's not a big deal. That's a right-wing talking point. What? Right. The same way, Colin, like, if I would say Jim Crow Joe is a racist, they'd be like, oh, you're just a right-winger. Colin... Yeah. You, you guys see how they uh, provide cover for the racism of liberals, which is just as dastardly as the racism of conservatives. Well, I don't pretend yeah. one is worse than another, but yeah. they both were bad, and and they both have mechanisms to cover that up. And liberals are probably better at it than conservatives. If we're gonna be real. Yeah, I mean, part of the problem was that the only person really critiquing Elizabeth Warren was Donald Trump. And he wasn't, yeah. you know, he was doing it in that way of just calling her Pocahontas, <laughs> which was hard to co-sign, right? Because I also am yeah. not trying to do that. So, like, the problem is that the left leaves these voids. You know, the, there's no there's no yeah. left critique of Elizabeth Warren. Therefore, they create the conditions where any critique becomes conflated with this, you know, Trump-style Pocahontas critique, you know, which is not what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah, when Trump said that, I was like, God damn, dude. But, you know, like, if he's the only one making that critique and he doesn't in that flair, with that flair that he has, then that's going to be the prevailing narrative, you know? And and what I find what that ends up doing is now you just, what he does so well, what Trump does so well is, is he muddies the water. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I'm bad, but he does it perfectly with Hillary Clinton. I'm bad, I'm corrupt, but look what Hillary Clinton did. Yep. Yep, exactly. And, and again, because there's that void, there's that void. And it's the same with this. That's how the, all this Russiagate stuff started happening, too, where it's like if there's no if there's no one on the left, there's no liberal on the broad left who's willing to say our version of the critique and to put some guardrails up on the limits of the critique. Right. Because, yes, you know, 
Republicans will take it to this weird place that is completely untrue and just use it to exculpate them from responsibility for all kinds of things. No, no, no. You can define the realms of the, of the realm of the critique and get credibility for your party and your movement. And at the same time, ward off against the excesses that aren't legitimate or, and that are self-interested. But they don't do that. A great and example like- of this, a great example of this, Bree, is uh, when during y'all debate with Jenk, actually, he called Max Blumenthal. I covered this on RBN. Mm-hmm. He said he was using right wing talking points for calling out Ukrainian Nazis. Mm-hmm. How does that? The, the reason why that is because it's a very impressive psyop the establishment pulled out. Uh, you have Matt Gates, you have Marjorie Taylor Greene, the same right wing figures we've been talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Who they called out the Ukrainian war. Meanwhile, Bernie Sanders, AOC, quote, the quote unquote protagonists, the good guys in politics, yeah. they, they go along with the proxy war. Then the bad guys speak out for the proxy war. So then if you speak out in the proxy war, like Aaron Mate or Max Blumenthal, or like we do, they're like, oh, you're using right wing talking points. How is calling out Nazis a right wing talking point? You guys see how the PSYOP works people's critical thinking skills? It's it's really disappointing. It's really disappointing, especially because the the part that was a little frustrating in that aspect of the debate was that I knew what the pushback was going to be from him. And I went out of my way to say, look, I'm not even trying to make a claim here. Everyone knows that I'm the biggest foreign policy dum-dum in the world. I'll leave it to the experts. But even if I, I said, look, even if you think it's been overstated for political reasons, it is a fact that there is this nazi element in the ukrainian army and people are concerned about our arms going to them and then like even though i caveated it a million times it's so small even if you think it's so small and not statistically significant and doesn't mean that we shouldn't you know you, you can still think that we should defend ukraine or whatever like that's like you can hold those things in your mind at the same time if you'd like he still went on and characterized what i said as like i think all ukrainians are nazis and i'm like Come on, dude. Like, even if you have legitimate criticism of Aaron or Max Blumenthal, and I'm sure there are legitimate criticisms of them, just like there's legitimate criticism of everybody. No one's going to take you seriously when you're just making these absolutist claims about them. And that's what's so frustrating. Like, I would really love to know if there is really something to critique about some of these folks. I would really, I would really love to know. I would like to be able to have all the people who disagree talk to each other so that my understanding of the issues can be informed by their direct engagement with each other. And then I can hear both sides engaging substantively with their points and I can make my own decision. But I don't get that. I remember there was one day something popped up on the internet recently and I like had missed the cycle and I was trying to catch up and figure out what was going on. And I literally couldn't understand what the argument was because all of the posts were, you're dumb, you're a moron, you're a grifter, you're a shill. And I was like, okay, but what's the argument about? I can't even figure it out because none of you are saying anything substantive. It's exhausting. Yeah, it's, they had none. They have none. They have none. It's it, it literally just to speak out against people who are, because uh, they do the same thing to me. I'll make a point, especially like, on Ukraine or anything that go against the neoliberal uh, agenda. And then I'll just see, oh, look at this grifter. Look at this dumb. Like, are you going to counter? I was literally curious to see what you're ca- The same way you sound. I actually am curious. I want to read this, though, regarding the Ukrainian Nazi thing. I'll cover this on RBN. Um, this has come from the Peace Corps uh, that was warning black people not to go to Ukraine because they said it is not uncommon for Ukrainian. I'm reading directly from the Peace Corps here. Peace Corps. It is not uncommon for Ukrainians to refer to African Americans as inward, volunteers of color may be called a monkey, or may see children games with black faces. Being aware of history of dehumanization of the people of African descent may help inform where it come from. They they talk about the history 
of racism that Ukrainian people will have against Africans. And I covered this on the RBN as well. Uh, and this was no, I, I, I follow uh, European soccer. I watch Premier League, La Liga. I love mm-hmm. watching European soccer, right? It is. It was well known that Ukrainian footballers, and you can find this on my on my feed. They posted this has been well documented. They will go uh, do Nazi chants, and they will mock and intimidate uh, Latino, Muslim, and Black football players, right? So there's a systemic problem of racism in their culture. The same way I would say of it of ours. And, and can I really not go- only that, the United States and Ukraine was the only countries to vote against condemning Nazism. And can I just me re- bringing it up, bring this up is a right wing talking point, guys? Yeah, go, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> is, that, mm-hmm. is that first of all, like when people say that, first of all, let's we have to put it. There is a military, a country with a military. I don't care how small it is. If you know there's a faction, even if it's 1% of your military, that is devout Nazis as a black person, that worries me. I don't care how small it is because you acknowledge it. The government acknowledges it. We know that. I don't care how small it is. And you let it happen. You didn't put it Because here's the thing. Like, you can still believe. Like, let's say, let's say Chang or whoever it is very much believes that on the as a, on the first order issue, America absolutely needs to intervene and defend Ukraine. Now, as we've talked about on this show, I feel like there needs to be a much stronger substantiation of why Ukraine and not any number of other humanitarian crises around the world. Exactly. We have to be able to give an, an argument that's not rooted in imperialism. I'm sorry. Okay, and that's what we've been talking about on this show. I'm not saying one way or the other, but when I bring on expert after expert and I ask them to articulate why Ukraine and not other places and they can't give me an answer other than this kind of geopolitical jockeying with Russia, then I, I, I can't, you know. Now, there's other broader humanitarian questions and blah, 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 blah. But let's say that you disagree with me on that and that you believe as a matter of principle you just have to defend Ukraine. Okay. You could accept and acknowledge the existence of the Azov Battalion and all of this other stuff, and that doesn't prevent you from giving arms to Ukraine if that's really what you want to do. Just put conditions on the arms. Say, you know what, that's a legitimate concern. We're going to track where this money has gone, which is what that CBS report that they retracted last week showed that exactly they weren't doing that. 30% of the stuff was going places that nobody could track. You know, you right. can just say, oh, I agree with you. That's a good point. We want to make sure our weapons aren't getting to the wrong hands. This is how we're going to do it. But people act like admitting that you have a point about anything undermines the entire their entire broader ethics or argument. And that's really <laughs> frustrating. It causes people to do all this all or nothing thinking. And I just like I, I, one quick two, 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 uh, two last two things a little off topic so I can head out there because I know your queue is kind of long. One, um. I'm hoping that if you ever get a chance, there's an idea for, like, an episode of Bad Faith. It's because I'm really concerned about, like, the Congressional Black Caucus mm. and the hold they have over black voters. Mm. How do we cut through that? I know Pascal talks very eloquent on that. Mm-hmm. So that's the one that I would love to see you do. And lastly, um, I think it was uh, this past Friday, Ryan and Emily had a guy from Vermont who was an independent ran. He did, they interviewed him, who ran in uh, Vermont uh, in a Republican primary, and he mm. won. Mm. And he keeps he while he was running, he said to the Republicans, "I am not a Republican at all." And he has very like leftist type policies. So if, I can't remember his name, but I'm pretty sure if you talk to Ryan, he'll let you know the guy name. Maybe you can interview him. Um, okay, that sounds interesting. Yeah, for sure. Because I find uh, 
for like for like the Green Party, I think Vermont and New Hampshire are two interesting states that they should definitely be focusing on. So thank you. You have a good one. Thank you, Eric. All right, Pierre, uh, what's on your mind? Oh, before I get to you, Pierre, by the way, I just got a Google alert as I was sitting here, uh, an email to my inbox. And there's an article that just came out in Wonkat called Republicans just going to defund any actual integrity within FBI. And yours truly is quoted is, is cited in this article. And this is what they've said. <laughs> they said Green has been on the defund the FBI train ever since the Mar-a-Lago raid. And Brianna Joy Gray, former press secretary for Bernie Sanders, suggested, quote, the left should take advantage of the rights, new acknowledgement of systemic bias to push uh, abolish the FBI. I- irony should be noted. Okay, Gray, Gray would probably get in the car with Abe Vigoda at the end of The Godfather. <laughs> um, yeah, this is, I mean, this is, they're going in, they're obviously very upset. And I think that this is an indication that we're kind of onto something here. But Pierre, let us know what's on your mind this evening. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Can you hear me okay? Loud and clear. Okay, so I just want to start off with the premise. And I know this might be unpopular, but um, it's, what's the premise of the rest of my argument. But I do think that there needs to be some federal entity that investigates crimes that fall under federal jurisdiction. I'm not saying the FBI. I'm not saying, you know, I'm just saying some entity Mm -hmm. has to be responsible for that. So given that, I think if you're crafting legislation that's going to either reform the FBI or reconceptualize it from, you know, the beginning, the devil's in the details and how you and the details of how that led of what that organization will actually do, what's their um, boundaries and purview and whatnot. So I think the issue I have with saying, oh, let's ally with people like Marjorie Taylor Greene or whatever, is there's a certain what I view as a disconnect between what's wrong with the FBI. When the raid happened, um, there was this reflexive attacking the FBI, attacking and trying to retaliate with further investigations once Republicans come to power. They didn't even wait for what the warrant was about, what the details were, anything. So the only thing that they objected to was the fact that it was something that was attacking, you know, their former president. Um, So I think that there are problems with the FBI, but I don't think the problem with the FBI is that that by definition, the former president can't be the subject of a raid from a legally uh, issued warrant. So I think if you're going to have to, if you're going to craft those details, you have to be on the same page of what the objection is to the FBI. Um, so yeah, that's that's my initial thoughts about that. And so I just don't think that there's any. It's just disingenuous where they're coming from. They don't. Ha- I don't think they had any problem with the in- FBI investigating. Hillary in 2016. They don't have a problem with the FBI investigating Hunter Biden. There's just this disconnect between what they think is wrong with the FBI. I don't see how they would vote for the details that would come out that would be drafted by a Democratic politician. So I'm looking at, I I take your point, Pierre, and I'm looking at the Department of Justice's website. And there's about, I don't know, 40 sub agencies under the Department of Justice enforcement agencies. Now, the FBI didn't exist until the first couple of decades of the 20th century. And just like people make arguments about abolishing ICE and any other number of agencies, TSA, these things are relatively new inventions and America managed to function just fine without them. So I think we can all agree that, yes, 
there does need to be some entity to enforce federal law. However, the FBI has proven itself to be unaccountable and arguably unreformable. That being the case, to your second point, I think we've kind of addressed that, that to the extent that Marjorie Taylor Greene and them, that the real concern is having Donald Trump not be accountable. I would argue that if you want their version of reform not to take hold, then you have got to do it yourself and design for yourself with your left vision what some enforcement mechanism looks like that has the potential and is designed, in fact, to hold powerful people like presidents who violate the law accountable instead of going after vulnerable marginal left groups and, and minority groups the way that it has historically been done. And that does not happen by leaving a void so that Marjorie Taylor Greene can craft it in her own image. It happens by people with actual policy chops and experience who have designed agencies and departments before to put their heads together and figure out what the flaws in the FBI are and to reform them. And I got to say, I just really, really wish I was watching podcasts and listening to shows where all the experts on the left were figuring that shit out. Instead of endlessly exactly. having to defend the very idea that we should be involved in that project in the first place. Yeah, I keep, right. and I keep seeing people uh, qualify the statements where they say, well, we, we need um, some sort of federal uh, enforcement entity. Um, we can have that conversation, but that conversation has nothing to do with the FBI because that is not what they do. They have quite literally no mandate. Uh, I think like we we right now live in a barbaric age society where we still do things um like it's it's just barbaric and us like we don't need an fbi what we need is an agency that is dedicated to tracking waste theft because we lose more money via waste theft because the ruling class than criminal theft criminal burglary so how about we have a, a federal uh, uh public safety department that is designed to go after uh, corporations that commit waste theft that goes after people who commit financial fraud. I would be down for an agency that only goes after sexual predators because the only decent thing the FBI does is go after sexual predators. Everything else, I I covered this on my show, uh, and this is coming from multiple sources. I, I'm looking at brand uh, brandy es dot edu. Uh, I'm looking at common dreams. Even Washington Post covered this. The New York Times on the Herald Square, Square, Square bomber. The FBI literally creates more terrorism than it solves. The, ter- the FBI doesn't solve terrorism. They, they create terrorism. So this is the argument the left should be making instead of in any way, shape, or form defending whether the FBI should be a thing or not, which the Jake Uyghur left and uh, the people attacking the Republicans for calling for the abolition the FBI, that's what they're doing. So they would say, well, yeah, we need an agency that uh, that goes after the ruling class. Yes, you can establish that agency, but that's not the FBI. That is okay. not the institutions that we have. So, so I'll, I'll pass right back to the car. That's all. Yeah, that's all I well, to see what that, you guys think. that kind of goes to my point, though, is that if the legislation is even further, you know, drastically to reform it or, or get rid of it and, and come up with something that's much narrower, um, that would even have less support from Republicans than even yeah, the, the only thing I would, Sorry, I don't, I don't, the only thing I'm going to add, and I can pass it right back to you, if there's, if the Republican led this, which probably they will because there is no real left in America, if the Republican led it and it leads to the FBI no longer existing, 
you had to be crazy not to support that because the FBI is not doing it. They do nothing. And I, I cannot emphasize that enough. If you think they're support, protecting us, if you think, th- like, their original mandate of serving the American people, they do not do that. In fact, okay. they got caught smuggling drugs, protecting sexual assault. Uh, people, like, they, they had a pedophile that they literally was paying $90,000 uh, every time they hired them just to bust other pedophiles. It's like they're not doing anything to protect us. But sorry, go ahead. I'll, I'll pass back. All right. I mean, I, I would object to the notion that the that they don't do anything that's good. I understand they have a history of well, doing well, let bad me give things. You some num- numbers real quick. In my radar, the radar that got everybody so mad, I cited statistics that said 85% of their resources were dedicated toward, you know, COINTELPRO, you know, exactly. Martin Luther King's phone, and 15% was dedicated toward actually going after the KKK. In fact, J. Edgar Hoover specifically said, don't investigate the four little girl bombing. And instead, you know what I mean? Like, we're not going to investigate this clear cut. <laughs> Everyone should be mad when children are killed in a church bombing. And instead, we're going to sit on our laurels and, like, harass Elvis and, 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 and you know, Black Panthers. Yeah, that's yeah. A, that's well, a bad I just want to add, Pierre, you... Okay. you your caution is is smart to be cautious when dealing with right wingers. But on this particular issue, if they put a bill that got rid of the FBI, I'm t- our society in the left position, we need to argue unapologetically we'd be better off without the FBI or the CIA. Um, okay, but the, the Republicans, w- <laughs> there's a filibuster. You have to get more than, you know, and there's always going to be, even if there's democratic control, of all, you know, of both houses in the presidency, it's going to be tight margins. You have to get, you have to overcome the filibuster. And if you do marginal reforms, I think that that's, it's, I'm skeptical because of the devil in the details. But even if you go further than that and say, okay, well, this is a legislation to abolish it, that's not going to get anything. So what uh, I'm if trying we talk, to say If we're talking like, about the legislative branch, there's no, d- despite what Marjorie Taylor Greene is saying and what Lauren Borbert, there's not, it's never going to happen. So if you, right. if, if that's your concern, it's not going to happen. It literally doesn't matter how far left we go or far right. I think the right wing politicians are just saying it so they can get Trump support. Uh, I think we should take advantage of this as a left because the people who listen to Marjorie Taylor Greene, the three out of 10 Republicans who I report support defund the police, they are serious. I don't think, like, I actually agree with you. If that's your point, that it won't pass. Yeah, I agree. There's no way. I don't think, like, as it is right now. Yeah, well, I mean, I also I, think that, go ahead. Well, I think, you know, you go back to the stuff that happened in the 60s, and I agree that it's been abused, and it's still being abused now. But I, you can't say, well, these are the bad things that happened in the 60s, and therefore we're going to use that as a starting point. You need to analyze that, what they that do black back now. Guy, that black communist guy was arrested in July. Was, I, was, no, was I agree. July. I agree they do bad things now. But what I'm trying to say is that you can't go back to the 60s and say, well, this is this is the proportion of things they did back then. Well, the proportion no, of no, things no. they do. That proportion is not from back then. That's the aggregate it's proportion the, of what the it. FBI does. As, <laughs> like, as, that's as Muslim. That's, the FBI. That's the will, they, this is com- this literally from last year. How the FBI spied on Orange County Muslims. Now, let me it cut off. And attempted. Oh, what, uh, sorry, the headline cut off. And attempted to get away with it. Okay, sorry. So, and you can find a lot of those stories that literally within the last few years, um, uh-huh. they spy on socialist organizations and they've been uh, violating the rights of mosques. Uh, so they, they still I, do this stuff. But I, I'm all ahead, with Pierre. you. Yeah, I'm all with you with with that type of reform. Um, I'm just saying that, like, you can't, 
say that like you want to have margin. Okay, so if there's marginal reforms, I think that they'll be split on the devil in the detail type stuff. And if you want something even more drastic, you'll get even less support from them. And then if you say, well, it's not Marjorie Taylor Greene, it's Marjorie Taylor Greene supporters. Well, sure. But then again, the the legislatures are the one that vote, not the people. I mean, the people will still vote for the politician. So right, I just don't but, see but how... Look at, all of this, look at like what DeSantis is doing. I, I would say like 9 out of 10, 8 out of 10 of all of these um, laws that are attacking trans people and that are banning books and stuff, they end up getting struck down. A lot of them end up getting struck down as unconstitutional. One was just struck down last week as unconstitutional, right? But that's not the point. That's not why they do them. They do them to signal to their base that we're the party that is attendant to your priorities. And those people are going to line up and vote Republican regardless of whether or not they're able to pass legislation about all of those culture war issues that they're talking about. And I guess the case that we're making is that this could be our culture war issue. And it should be, especially since Marjorie Taylor Greene, who also knows she's not going to be able to pass anything, is savvy enough to know that it should be her culture war issue. And I would also argue that to the extent that we are advocating for something that sounds big and bad and extreme to a lot of people, well, that's a very good reason for them to compromise on some of these other much less extreme policies that have been sitting on the wayside, like the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, which is nobody's revolutionary policy, but was something that people advocated for and voted for Joe Biden to pass and which got hung up on this issue of qualified immunity, which would be mm-hmm. huge if we got rid of qualified immunity. And I, I'd say, let's see what happens in a world where the options are, okay, the compromise position is getting rid of qualified immunity because you don't want us to abolish the FBI. Yeah. Well, I will say, you know, the whole defund the police. I mean, I think it's in the numbers that it doesn't poll very well. I mean, fewer than one in five support defund. I think for one poll, 58% said they oppose it. So I, I understand you. Stop can... you there, buddy. Sorry. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the, I, I, I got into these numbers. I was in the weave in these numbers. And let me tell you, they do a lot of shady things, get the poll results they, they want. I will admit when they say, do you support the defund the police movement? Those numbers are low. And I actually know exactly the poll you're quoting. That poll result is because they over-tested and they polled a ton of Republicans and white people. And in that same poll, even despite them doing that, they changed the question up. They asked the people, do you support reallocating police budgets to, and I detailed this on my, on my Twitter and I reported us on, on RBN. They asked people, do you support reallocating police budgets to social programs such as healthcare, housing, and education? When asked that way, the number skyrockets, including 74% Democrats and 55% independents. Uh-huh. Um, and cl- so I, 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 not, I just want to say that because there is uh-huh. truth and it kind of, it's like kind of misleading because they asked it in a way that is like without substance. Like they will ask like, do you support the defund the police movement? What does that mean? But when they asked them the policy ask of our movement, that number literally skyrockets to, uh, most voters, and I, I, I document. I just want to add that context because I actually know exactly what poll you're talking about. Okay. Um, also, I'm sorry. Why are we bringing up what what is the the relevance of defund the police in this context? Well, the because the argument was that well, if you can get Republican support, then it's reflected in, then that gets reflected in how the politicians vote. But the public doesn't support that type of reform. 
Well, no, no, no. The public isn't one gelatinous mass of averages. The public is individual people. Most people aren't prioritizing, nor do they especially care about whether or not there's a trans girl in their kid's peewee league. However, (laughs) right-wingers know that they're able to move some percentage of that fringe swing vote by talking about those kinds of issues. The average voter is not overly concerned about whether their child uh, reads Catcher in the Rye, but tell me why J.D. Salinger was trending all weekend on Twitter because the Republicans know how to make a, uh, a mountain out of a mohill. So I would argue uh-huh. that to the extent that Marjorie J- Taylor Greene is rightly identifying that she can bring people to the right on this issue in the same way they've been manipulating all kinds of speech issues and stuff to try to get people to think that they're the party that will stand up for that sort of thing. Democrats have an opportunity to say that they are the people who stand up for that kind of thing. I also think there's a lot of credibility to be had in this moment where you're actually trying to spend something on Trump to admit, to just acknowledge that there are, of course, these concerns with the FBI and that you're going to be invested in reforming it to make sure that this persecution is as fair as possible. Because look at the backdrop this is all happening on. This is coming off of, and I, I, I regret not paying more attention to this story, the Gretchen Whitmer FBI kidnapping plot. It's crazy. That was all entrapment. <laughs> like, that's crazy. It's so, so crazy. Republicans who have been, have been very focused on that story. Like, oh, they, the, the FBI just tried to entrap, you know, this idea of a crazy one-sixer. And the, the idea that they were going to kidnap the governor of Michigan, the pretty, the pretty white governor of Michigan. And it was all a lie. And like, there's no mea culpa. And now you're expecting me to trust the same organization not to entrap Donald Trump. How do I know they didn't put the, the classified documents in there? That the FBI is not beyond doing anything. I mean, the FBI isn't beyond doing anything. So if you want actually the allegations to stick to Donald Trump, I would argue that's another reason to be a little bit more transparent and honest about the failures of the institution itself and say, yeah, I'm committed to some reform. Not sit here and pretend like we're the biggest grandstanders of the FBI all of a sudden just because Trump derangement syndrome. There were so many there's so many drug dealers that that came out and said they work with the FBI and CIA, the real Rick Ross is famous for talking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know for we know for a fact because it's being declassified through Iran Contra that the CIA sold drugs in order to finance uh, their uh, anti-socialist activities in the global south. But mm-hmm. I just always say, imagine what we don't know because these people always there's always these stories that you hear in the hood, right, on the block of the FBI. Uh, selling drugs and it's like how much do they get away with how much they don't and when you hear about the fbi uh plotting to kill the government governor of uh, michigan to entrap people like there's no bottom like that, that's that's not something you just do once and like damn that's crazy let's get back to our regular work no that's that's their that's what they do but i'll, I'll pass back to the caller well you know you mentioned planting the evidence i mean trump admitted that the documents were there that was just one thing he threw out there on a whim before the warrant was released i I just don't see how that makes any sense to me i mean i think that there is a you need to have healthy scrutiny of federal investigations just like any investigation but there's been no indication that that this is that this is part of a broader theme of of corruption i think corruption does exist but this is not I don't find this to be I don't find that argument to be compelling in this case. I think you could say, well, let's let's get them to let's get Marjorie Taylor Greene to harness her the public opinion in her 
direction, but what form does that take? Oh, let's harness the the, pu- the public to support reforms of the FBI to defend Republicans. I mean, I think... No, no, no. Pierre, you literally get to decide. You right now get to decide. If you want the FBI to take down Trump or anybody who has legitimately broken the law, who is rich and powerful, who normally escapes scrutiny, then this is your chance. You get to design the law to make it the way you want it to look like. You can't sit here and say, of course the law would be bad as an excuse not to step up and design the law. This is my, my point. If you who, do nothing, who designs the law? We don't design. This isn't of a plus you do. I, I don't know. I don't we, know. We we elect representatives. We elect representatives, no, and the representatives design the law. Exactly, Pierre. And who's putting any pressure on representatives to to be pursuing this kind of legislation right now? Certainly not the American left. <laughs> well, but do you so, see what I'm saying? Like Marjorie Taylor Greene is would maybe want to reform it, but they're not going to reform it in the same way that the American left would want to reform it. I know, it. Pierre. That's why the American left has to act. Look, I'm sorry. Okay, I can't but they do need to... guys. I'm not a policy expert. I can't sit here and draft policy for you guys. All I'm trying to do is get you people to pressure your elected representatives to do their goddamn jobs. So you can... Do their you jobs think... and draft legislation. Do you think the American left... Dra- do you think the American left can persuade... Uh, lawmakers to persuade Republican politicians to draft reforms that... No, I don't are... want Republican politicians to draft reforms. I want AOC and Ayanna No, 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 but you got to persuade them to draft reforms. Yeah, but you got to persuade Republicans to vote for them. Yeah, if they want to get Marjorie Taylor room in the, the uh, green in the room and invite her to the table and say, da-da-da, I'm happy for that to happen. Now, there's going to be hard conversations because you're right. She's going to want stuff that we don't want. But absolutely, they should be our people. Our people should be putting forward their version of the legislation, a hundred percent, absolutely, and saying Uh we have the abolish FBI bill. Why won't Marjorie Taylor Greene sign on to it? I mean, you could do that. that Should be happening. No, I can't because I'm not drafting legislation. It's somebody's job to draft legislation, and you sitting around trying to get podcasters to do legislators' jobs is exactly part of the problem. (laughs) Well, no, you said that the that I get to draft legislation. That's you just contradicted yourself. No, I mean the left. The left gets to draft legislation if they want to, and we have to be putting oh. a, a pressure on our elected officials to do exactly that. Not giving I, cover, I that, but cover we'll start... for them and their impotence in doing absolutely nothing and letting right. her Marjorie Taylor Greene carry the football across the touchline for her team. But the whole point of this was promoting allyship and i just think the whole premise of the allyship no 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 who says wait a minute wait a minute the whole point of this was not promoting allyship and i it's not it's not your fault pierre but you were like the 50th person to put that word into my mouth every time if if marjorie taylor green says something that i agree with in the most superficial way and i say great i'm going to do my thing and run with it that is not me saying I want to ally with Marjorie Taylor Greene. That's me saying I want to exploit interest in this policy that Marjorie Taylor Greene has surfaced to get people to agree with my thing. The way you framed it is exactly what people did with Jimmy Dore and Force the Vote. Jimmy Dore she deserves a lot of credit for bringing a lot of attention and servicing Force the Vote. But every other single person who also agreed with Force the Vote isn't a mouthpiece for Jimmy Dore. They're a mouthpiece for Force the Vote. And it doesn't mean there's like some invisible ties that exist and like this magical ephemera that like manifests the second two people in the world agree with each other on something. Marjorie Taylor Greene has to ally with me. And Marley Chase Greene has to come to my turf. Marjorie Taylor Greene has to do what I want her to do and pull to the left if we play this right. 
In the alternative, mm-hmm. everyone, yes, is going to go right into the right because that's the only place to go if this is an issue that matters to you. Yeah. I mean, I, I see what you're saying. I just think that the whole persuasion thing with Marjorie Taylor Greene would probably falter because she, her her conception of reforming the FBI is completely different from what the left would how how they would conceptualize reforming the FBI. And they would need to convince Taylor Greene's no, it's you do need to convince Marjorie Taylor Greene supporters because at the end of the day, Marjorie Taylor Greene isn't going to put forward any legislation. And the only so the supporters are going to convince. So you think that legis- you can persuade Marjorie Taylor Greene supporters to change her mind about how to reform the FBI? No, I think that I can convince Marjorie Taylor Greene supporters that to the extent that they want FBI reform, they're going to have to vote for leftists. Oh, okay. Well, that's a pretty safe district in Georgia. I mean, you'd have to really change the whole composition of the electorate to Marjorie do that. Marjorie Taylor Greene supporters aren't just people who live in her district, Pierre. Come on. Do you think what do you Ron mean? DeSantis, but that's how she gets elected. No, supporters and voters are not synonyms for each other. So Marjorie you want Taylor Greene. Wait a minute, Pierre. Ma- Pierre, come on. Marjorie Taylor Greene is capturing a zeitgeist. People like her and all of these right-wing extremists, they are not just pandering to their district to get reelected. Hell, half of these people who make these kind of statements, look at Liz Cheney. She certainly wasn't doing it to get reelected. People are making much broader national political plays all the time. And there's this this game that's going on in the Republican Party where they know that they can have a few right-wingers out there that are not representative of the whole but capture enough fire and energy and no one – None of the other mainstream Republicans insult them or distance themselves in any way, and they get the best of both worlds. Reasonable people can vote for the reasonable people, and the unreasonable people or the people who have more extreme views still feel like their home is in the Republican Party because the Democratic Party is woke skull to want their kids to go to drag brunches. And that's the game they're playing. Meanwhile, Democrats – are letting them have all of this turf in terms of legitimate culture word issues where we should be owning free speech and we should be owning abolishing the FBI and we should be capitalizing on all of the frustrations that are post Uvalde with how fucking impotent the cops are. And instead, we're sitting around afraid of our own shadow talking about, oh, I read a poll that said the fund the police wasn't popular, even though after they burned down that police station in 2020, a majority of Americans said that that was a fucking good thing to do. Uh-huh. Well, you know, these are going in different directions, and maybe that, that's a bit broader discussion. I just think that when, you, when it comes down to it and you're trying to reorganize or realign the electorate in, towards the leftist vision, I think that polls do matter. Uh, I think that you can change public opinion and be persuasive. But I just think that when it comes to getting representatives to craft legislation in the way you want, and you want to do that from a bottom-up, uh, method, um, that's going to take a lot of time. And I just don't think that it's just, that's not what, when you say capturing the zeitgeist, well, that's the zeitgeist right now because they're running defense for Trump. And I just don't think that zeitgeist is going to be there. I just think that there's not, there's this kind of a disconnect between what the goals are and what, how you get to those goals and the time period involved. Um, and changing public opinion takes Years, decades, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene right is not going to. We might as well not even try. It's going to take well, a long time and be hard. So okay. let's all but hang whole... up. Uh, I got a, right. my dinner delivery outside the door. My salmon's getting cold. You guys want to just hang it up? Because <laughs> it's going to be hard and take a long time. Come up here. I'm, I'm giving you a hard time, but you know how that sounds. Well, it. I think that 
social movements do take time and that doesn't mean they're impossible. But I think, like I said, the discussion was how do we get people who support Marjorie Taylor Greene? If you're talking years and decades, um, I think no, that no, that's... No. You just keep coming up with these fake, um, with these with these like issue state questions presented, as we say in a legal draft, that no one uh-huh. no one agreed to. <laughs> now now the, the, the issue is how to get... No. It does not take months and years. These people were galvanized by very recent political events into the positions they are right now. Abolish the FBI could not be a newer political phenomenon that would not exist but for this raid that only happened two weeks ago and for some precipitating events like 1-6, which happened 18 months ago, and mm-hmm. this Gretchen Whitmer raid and a couple of other things that have gone down, the Proud Boys thing that was apparently also a, a, um, a plant or whatever. I don't know. I don't follow all of these things so closely, although I should. I'm realizing now. Mm-hmm. So these are new events, besides which, even if you go, want to go back a little bit farther, I'm sorry, I don't know. The liberals really drilled it out of us to ever mention this, and I know we hate Obama, so just take this with a grain of salt. But it makes me insane, insane that we live in a world where Trump doesn't exist if not for like 10% of Barack Obama, white Barack Obama voters switching over. Like a marginal number of Barack Obama voters switching over to Trump. Mm-hmm. It was the Obama to Trump voter, but for that person, Trump doesn't win. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting here acting like, ah, oh, there's some deep-seated multi-generational thing that happened. No. They voted for Obama in 2012, and then they voted for Trump in 2016. That's a four-year window. So we're halfway mm-hmm. through Biden's uh, administration. Hop to it. You have a lot of opportunities to make a lot of things happen and capitalize on social moments. That's all I say about that. Pierre, you have been very patient. Um, I want to give Nick the next, uh, the last word on this, and I'm going to move on to Thomas. Thank you. All so right. Much. Thanks for taking my call. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks. Go ahead, Nick. Oh, can you hear me? I don't know if you had anything else to say. Yeah, sorry, the, uh, mm-hmm. the app was messing up. Uh, that was entertaining. <laughs> Uh, I think the way you handled the Jank debate was was definitely the best way to do it. But if you came at Jank with that same energy, it's probably would have been more entertaining. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's not about you know what it is. If in that situation, if I give Jank and, and Vanguard got, Vanguard guys pointed this out too, they were like, "Oh, she got heated more heated with us than Jank." Yeah, a hundred percent because I trust them more not to try to weaponize my frustration back yeah, at me. Yeah, you you handled it right. You handled yeah, it right. Yeah, you sure. just it's different. It's different. You know, this is a safe space. You know. Yeah. Pierre, <laughs> and I know he's a, a listener, and I know he's coming from a good place. So I trust. But him I get your frustration, though. I, yeah. I get your frustration, and you had a patience of a saint against. Uh, Jane, because I feel like um, what what we advocate for shouldn't be too hard to understand. Like I'm a opti- I, I I try to take any opportunity I can to shift the Overton window to the left. So we have bad faith actors on the right uh, politicizing abolishing FBI. Of course, that's a good time for us to not only educate people on why we should have the left position to abolish the FBI. But I I've been having fun. I've been like I get a lot of conservatives that follow me because I make fun of Jim Crow Joe. And mm-hmm. I have them even laughing when I make fun. Like, I thought Trump was going to drain the swamp. If he drained the swamp, this wouldn't even be a problem in the first half, the first mm-hmm. point. And I get them mm-hmm. laugh. Ah, that is kind of true, right? Like, mm-hmm. you got you got to take these opportunities to be smart, to shift over to me. I, I, I laugh and mock Trump supporters all the time, and they still follow me to this day. I still just say, like, like, if he was serious about draining the swamp, he wouldn't have Mike Pompeo there. He wouldn't have Steve Manitri there. The FBI wouldn't be in a position where they can raid his uh, use the Espionage Act to raid him because he would have pardoned Julian Assange, right? Right. 
So he set the precedent that will eventually lead to him being raped by the FBI. Like, these are things you can communicate, and you're not going to win over the hardcore partisan. The same way you're not going to win over the people who just support her. No matter how many facts you bring about Medicare for all, there's just this liberal people who just support that will not be swayed. That same thing with the right wing. But the, but the right winger who just works a nine to five job, then you got kids, he kind of barely pay attention to political politics, may watch a, a, a Ben Shapiro video every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And then he like, he hear a boss, FBI, like, yeah, that makes sense. We can try to win that person over and bring them to the right reason to support a boss the FBI. And if we eventually build a movement to abolish the FBI, we will have these people that we program from the start of this dialogue on our side. Right. Why is it so hard to understand? It's about people? goodwill <laughs> and being consistent and seeming like you have integrity. We know that this is why, and I know we all have our critiques of Bernie, but we all know why he get we, everyone cuts him more slack than the squad or anybody else, and why people really believed in him in 2016 and 2020. And it's because he had 40 years on the record of doing the hard thing when it was hard and had taking the unpopular position when it was unpopular and people turning up photographs of him being arrested, chained to black women and all this stuff in the 1960s when some other people were Goldwater girls. And it made us feel like, okay, when you do the right thing, when no one's looking, when you do the right thing, like having a trans parade in Burlington, when, you know, people didn't even believe that gay people had human rights like that, that meant something to some people. And so like, if you want to have that kind of integrity, if you want people to be with you for the long run and feel like you're not just opportunistically knocking on somebody's door to get you to pull the lever for the guy that you like so that you can get, you know, your internship paper signed off on or whatever to get your little job, you know, your little paycheck for working for a campaign. Like if you want people to really believe you. You have to invest in moments like this and do the right thing, even when it's hard, even when you're going against the Democratic Party, even if. There's some marginal chance that it negatively affects the ability to lock Donald Trump up. I'm sorry. you got to show people what your real, real priorities are. Do you care more about all of the people that have been ground under the heel of the FBI for the last hundred years or Donald Trump? Now, I don't think it's a trade-off. I think, I think absolutely we should be talking about the fact, as I did at the end of my Marjorie Taylor Green radar, that if the FBI for once is rightly going after someone who is elite and has money and power and authority, then that is a rare occasion and good for it. <laughs> but that does not justify the ex- excesses and abuses of the institution as a whole. All right, Thomas, unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. Hey, Brianna uh, and Nick. Um... I saw, I think it was maybe like a week or two ago when all this stuff sort of started to burble up. Um, I think Rand Paul had tweeted something like, um, we need to uh, like rescind the, the Espionage Act. Mm. Oh, right? Gee, get rid of it. <laughs> yes. And Charles Booker, the like uh, left wing uh, like adversary of Rand Paul's uh, in Kentucky, uh, was like, oh, well, you know, vote for me. I, I won't betray this country like Rand Paul, who's okay with, you know, letting, you know, people, you know, go without, like, you know, being prosecuted for the Espionage Act. Um, and, like, of course, a bunch of the left supports Charles Booker and stuff, which is funny because the Espionage Act was used to, uh, to jail Eugene Debs, mm-hmm. probably the greatest American socialist that we ever produced uh, uh, as a means of like trying to clamp down the like real socialist movement at the time. 
Um, mm-hmm. it, also, Daniel yeah. Hill, John yep. Carreyrou yeah. as well. Yep. There's so many. The, and I'll pass right back to you. I'll pass right to you, Bree. But you running against Rand Paul, a libertarian, a right wing economic libertarian, but he can't stop attacking him from the right. Like, <laughs> like you running against a libertarian, Charles. You don't have to prop up the military. Like he did the same thing with Ukraine because he keeps taking the only issues that Rand Paul gets right. And he keeps attacking them on those issues. Attack him on his stance on healthcare, Booker. Stop attacking them because he got the the issue of Ukraine correct. And he said he quoted John McCain. Charles Booker qu- quoted John McCain. He said, like the late great Senator John McCain said, Rand Paul worked for Putin. <laughs> yeah. For the I... love of God, please attack him for the left, Charles. That's all I'm gonna say. I'll pass to you, Bree. No, <laughs> I was I was just gonna point out that. I'm trying to find it in this radar, but like the radar that everyone was so mad at, this Marjorie Taylor Greene radar, I literally took a, an article that the, the Intercept had written up about all of the ways that the espionage ads had been used to abuse all of these leftists and embedded that into the radar. So there was a whole section of the Marjorie Taylor Greene radar that went through a laundry <laughs> list of people who had gone down under the, wrongly under the Espionage Act. Like, this was a left-wing radar. This was a radical left radar that spent 50% of the time defending communists and the other half of the time defending people who went down under the Espionage Act. And the only part that people listened to is the first sentence that said, Marjorie Taylor Greene is a dumb bird, but she was right this time. (laughs) You know, like, it's crazy. Like, I'm sorry. This is like a personal rant. But I go out of my way to kind of build in and anticipate criticisms. And I can tell when no one's listened to it. Right, because I really do be building in the criticisms. I'm I'm a journalist. I'm a writer first, and I'm a lawyer. And I, and as a lawyer, you don't get to ignore the the arguments against. You got to take them on and deal with them. And that has been a real key part to my writing style as a journalist. And it is in these radars too. So like. You can go you can go to the rising.com and they put all of our radars in their individual streams and you can go through all of my radars, or all of Robbie's radars, or all of Batia's or whoever you like and listen to them in a stream. And I highly suggest you revisit some of these takes because it's all yeah, right there. Yeah, I remember I heard the uh I saw the outrage before I saw the radar. And then I'm like, all right, I guess I checked this radar, see why they matter, Bree. And I'm and I got end of it like, y'all did not watch it. <laughs> There's no way and this and I know this. Because I I got a, a, a smaller platform, but a platform. This, like we got the same people that attack us. I know mm-hmm. I know it's the pattern. It's the same kind of people, mm-hmm. and I can't help but say something because it's the bad faith. It's just so obvious. Like I seen so many people criticize that radar. Um, I'm like, you did watch it, and that's they did the same thing for us. Mm-hmm. Like like whenever they would they would just pick something random. And they will come. I see nigga like, oh, I say you. I saw you say you want to make a alliance with fascists. I'm, what? When I say that, you get right. you, you get a summary from someone that don't know my work. I, like I, I see people that say Nick never attack Republicans. Like every stream, I'm roasting them, and people who follow <laughs> my coverage, like the people who follow me, they respond. They sound like, what are you talking about? Nick definitely talk. And it's just like a narrative that builds because people just repeat shit. <laughs> Even though they don't watch your content, and I know this just because I'm in the space. I know that happens to you a lot. And, and I'm like, what is that? That is kind of weird. It is kind yeah. of weird. I know I mean, that. Like, some of it is, and I, I don't like to be, I don't like to like impute motives. I think that some of it definitely is troll 
bot behavior. Like you can see. Yeah, definitely that. Definitely it, that. It, it comes in really unnatural waves. Like the, the Tucker Carlson one came like a day after in a way that felt really weird. And all at once, like a signal went out. And there has definitely been reporting. There definitely exists chat groups of high profile big follower accounts that definitely move in targeted ways at one point i was invited during the bernie campaigns one of these celebrities asked me if i wanted to come into this group and it was basic and terrible and i exited promptly (laughs) but like there definitely are like people like c-list celebrities with big followings that are all sitting around like bradley whitford isn't acting alone you know (laughs) like well or deborah messing and then they're not acting alone and it's all like very K hive oriented. It's the same people. And it's it's like weird alliances. Like the same people who were really mad at me about like Talia, the Talia Levin thing where, where she hung up on me in that interview were mad at me about like Marjorie Taylor Greene. You know, it's like, it's not, it doesn't make sense. It's like Talia is like ostensibly a leftist and I don't know that this would be their issue, but it's all of these like kind of um, protecting the establishment left groups. And it's and it's a it's an odd alliance to be to see being formed between these people that were kind of like just basically establishment Democrats or like maybe Warren <laughs> Democrats or Kamala Democrats and people who were who were Bernie people, but they're on the you know they're on the Sam Cedar end of that support now. Anyway, and they, I'm sorry, it's all very boring. Right. But thank thank you, Thomas, for for calling. I think your point about the Espionage Act is spot on. Oh, yeah, I mean, I just wanted to say one more uh, thing. I mean, I think this. The idea about like that there's an alliance is very silly or that there even could be like, I don't know, the the proportion of the left that like is actually for abolishing the FBI or getting rid of the Espionage Act or whatever is like 15 people. So I'm pretty sure like Rand Paul or Marjorie Taylor Greene is not like really counting on them to like, you know, he doesn't doesn't really care if they support him or not. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But I think like. I think it's also just a sign of how really the whole left is just Democrats. Um, <laughs> that's really what it is, like the whole left, because there's no like there's no political independence, right? That's why there's no push for like an actual like Marxist party, um, yeah. because they get very upset that like, oh my God, how dare you like like say something that the Republicans agree with, but like. They all say stuff that the Democrats agree with all the time, right? And we literally want Liz Cheney to be the president of the United States of America. <laughs> like, I don't know how to get around this. And I know I bring this up, like, almost every episode, but I cannot, it, I cannot get over the fact that I have not been asked on MSNBC since January of 2021. And yet, Jesus. George Bush's comms woman is a primetime host. What'd I say? What'd I say? Right. Just, just to the thought. Not, not that I'm clamoring to get on or anything, but like to the extent that, you know, someone like Brian, Brian Stelter, you know, R.I.P. was the last person to have me on uh, cable news. And even though the the segment was kind of faltering and awkward, he made an attempt to understand the left by having me and Liz Brennig, and I think it was Dave Weigel's idea for the panel. He was the third panelist. And he asked us questions about what the left and what they believed and tried to figure it out, even though it was one step forward, two steps back where he was trying. And that's the last time. But George Bush's press secretary is a primetime MSNBC anchor. When you, when you say um, the caller said a lot of these, the left is just Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't even think that's a controversial take because 
if, like the establishment, they don't care if you have a YouTube channel and you criticize them. They don't care if you make segments. They, the only thing they care about will you tell your will you tell your supporters to vote for Democrats? Will you vote yeah. for Democrats? And they pretend that they are leftier than now. Like Jane calling you the fake left. Like mm-hmm. people who vote for Jim Crow Joe, who continue Trump policies and even expanded them in a lot of cases. Um, and I'm, I, I just got to say it straight up. If you vote for that party who un, unapologetically imperialists or capitalists, you cannot play gatekeeper to who's a fake left and who's not. And it's blown, it, it drives me crazy that people don't understand that. They are a right-wing imperialist party. And if, if your motive at Brian and I is tell, them, tell people to vote for them every two years, at the end of the day, you're just a Democrat. It doesn't matter how many times you criticize them. Yeah, look, we could do a whole – I'm really tempted to, to – double down on that and get into it with you Nick about how important it is or how much the left is suffering from the failure to have a like a third party where we can feel like we can register our frustrations and there being some conflict about whether or not we should all just be voting green whether or not how much attention we should be paying to forward whether or not MPP is in the dustbin of history and all those other kinds of things but that is probably worth a whole other episode and I've been very negligent with this caller list because I've been very engaged yeah let, let, my bad sorry callers. let's do it let's do it so I'm trying uh, to not make this a three-hour episode I'm trying to keep this to a two-hour episode so let's try to do some rapid fire to get through at least like 10 more people in the next 30 minutes if we can all right I'm down Okay. I just wanted to quickly say just a recommendation on a guest. Um, mm-hmm. I would highly recommend getting uh, this guy, Reed Kane. Um, he goes by the name Socialist Legacy on Twitter and his YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's really good on the necessity of like an independent socialist uh, party or like working class vision outside of the Democratic and Republican parties. So I think he might be a good guest for that. Okay, Reed Kane. Thank you for that. Thank you. All right. Up next. I'm going to start skipping around a little bit in a second. So everybody look alive. Omar, you're up next. What's on your mind? Hi, Brie. Um, Like I said, just quick commentary. It's so frustrating because even when I heard your exchange with, I believe it was Pierre, I mean, not not any personal shots, but it just seems like a lot of the times some leftists just revel in being like fucking losers. I don't understand. (laughs) Like, I don't understand if, 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 now all of a sudden Marjorie Taylor Greene is singing our tune about defunding the FBI or, or defunding any kind of law enforcement. Like it, it doesn't understand. It's incomprehensible for me, for anybody that understands power or even politics for you to want to skip on the opportunity to be able to, like you said, propose some kind of policy, some kind of legislation to get our foot in the door where we finally have an agreement with, with the opposition. It, it, it doesn't make sense to me or, or even from the stance where it's like, oh, but fascism, like, I don't understand. I'm so over the word fascism. Like, it does not mean anything to anyone, I believe. It's just, I don't know. It's just like a, a, a code word for a trigger word. I don't know. Yeah, well, Nick has a great bit. I heard you talking today, Nick, huh. about Biden's fascism. Do you want to, I mean, what's your take on that? Because you, you were saying, like, look, if we're going to start using that word to just accurately describe things, we're talking about how much, how much Money is Biden putting toward the police and, and getting X number of more cops on the street in the middle of this push to criminalize a woman's right to choose. He's wanting to create more agents of the state. And which is which is who who exactly? Why are we only using these terms to apply to right wing fascism, but not right. uh, neoliberal fascism? 
Yeah, I, was, and, and I tried my best. Ahead, yeah, and I tried my best not to bastardize any of these terms. But if you look up the first, the fourteen tenets of fascism, every I'm sorry to say, every single one of those applies to the United States. So, I, I I'm more radical than most, and I'm telling people to leave the two party duopoly. So when you when you call Donald Trump a fascist, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you. I'm saying how can you have that position while voting for Jim Crow Joe? So if you look at one of the tenets of fascism. Forcible oppression of the opposition. What Joe Biden is doing to Julian Assange, the strong expansion of a national security state while neglecting the welfare of the people. These are tenets of fascism. When you go down the entire list, there's a long, a long list of them. To save time, I'm not going to go through all of them. But everything the policy wise that Joe Biden is doing, it fits under what it means to be a fascist. I debated the destiny, and we was, I had the claim that the United States is a fascist country. Now, my main uh, strategy in terms of debating Destiny was very simple. Name me a country you think is a fascist country. Mm. And, of course, he's a liberal, so he said Russia. So my response to that, I was trying to get him to explain the Monroe Doctrine, which was very easy. Mm-hmm. I asked him why you think Russia is a fascist. Because he said he don't think Russia don't respect the borders of sovereign countries, the fact that he, they believe they have a claim of Ukraine, uh, that's that's the force of that's a show of geopolitical dominance that is typical in fascist states and countries while neglecting the welfare of the people. Even though Russians they have health care, they get maternity leave. Mm-hmm. We, we we're not gonna go that far into it though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what he described as Russian fascism is quite literally the Monroe Doctrine. Everything Russia did is what we did in South America. Everything that you can call and point out a fascist leader is what we have done. And we continue to do by popping up these police forces that have no accountability and they are political. So I know we, we are short on time, but that kind of wrap up my summary. Like you, when you siding with Liz Cheney, when you siding with Joe Biden, that is the fascist alliance. Look at what he's doing to Palestinians. Look at he's doing it to your many children. He is increasing, adding 100,000 police officers to our streets while people are going homeless. This is what, crumbling empires have done so i think that's the bit you was asking for right yeah 100 great point taken to be honest yeah. I, I guess it's meaningless when, when you use fascism just to point out no like, it is meaningless how people use it you are right i just they just use it fear monger on right wingers which is when i don't like, like. you're right though that a lot of people they just drop our and that's why i was trying to explain why i caught like, i'm not just saying i'll buy as a fascist because I don't like Biden. I'm literally, literally Google 14 steps of fascism. He falls for every single one of them. But go ahead. Sorry, sorry, Carl. Go ahead. No, no, no that, 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 I, I 1,000% agree. I guess it's just meaningless when they use fascism to fearmonger about right, like conservatives or whatever. I just find it completely fucking pointless. And on, like, on top of that, I'm not sure if you guys, um, there was a, a, like, a viral little video on Twitter. It's like. How to talk to MAGA about communism. I'm not sure if everybody caught that. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, and it, it just goes to the fundamental point, even of this FBI ordeal. I, I cannot comprehend. I, I think somebody that's not willing to talk to somebody across the aisle is more detrimental to the movement. What was be so quite interesting about that video was by simply using certain kind of really superficial uh, framing, which is kind of what I'm getting at with this Marjorie Taylor Greene stuff. He, he yes. just... 
he taught, he was like, you know, sees the means of production, but he also used words. And I can't think of exactly what was said in the video, but saying things like, yeah, we got to, you know, drain the swamp, which is, is Trump's way of saying we got rid of, got, got rid of corruption. But I also want to get rid of corruption. So I, I'm hey, allergic I to that. the words drain the swamp. Yeah, hell yeah, let's drain the swamp. Okay. <laughs> yes, dead ass. You know? I, uh, a thousand percent. A thousand percent. And, and it's just, like I mentioned, I, I don't understand how, how people want to go about politics without taking this approach. I just feel like some people, maybe they're caught up, caught up in like the self, your own self-righteousness where like if a conservative is not going to 100% come to your side of the aisle, then they're just still deplorable. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just going to rant about the same thing, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, yeah. I, I told this story quite a few times. So I, I tell the super short, the super short version of this. When I was canvassing for the Bernie campaign, I have all my socialist gear on, right? And I was talking to this black Republican who called himself a black Republican because he felt like them one family values, right? Now that's obviously a Republican mm-hmm. talking point. So I got him to agree with me because I said, "Wouldn't if you if you care about the black family?" Shouldn't we have a four-day work week so the black dad is there more? Shouldn't we have health care and get the family help? Shouldn't we have a living wage so the black father? Well, we can have one breadwinner in the family. And he agreed with He's like, yo, they're actually great points. He don't connect the Democratic Party to those things. And we can bring those people aboard. Just to make that story very short, use whatever language it takes for you to get a W. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Omar. And yeah. thank you for that, Nick. I'm hopping around a little bit. Keep the faith. Dominic, you look like a new face. What's on your mind this evening? Dominic, are you here? Did I catch you off guard? Can you unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind? Dominic going once. Dominic going twice. Hello? Oh, there Hello? you go, Dominic. What's your... What, uh, what I, could, say you? I couldn't unmute myself. <laughs> no worries. We got you here. What's on your mind this evening? Oh, uh, no. I think, I think this kind of goes back to last week's episode about the uh, climate bill. Mm-hmm. And I think my point is just kind of that regardless of if it's like the FBI defund the FBI or the climate bill, whenever we enter the negotiations with these people who don't actually really care about the issue, what comes out of it kind of seems worse than if we just didn't do anything at all. You mean, so you're saying, um, having the inflation reduction act is worse because it makes people feel like they've achieved more than they have. And it like takes the energy out of the fight. Well, that, and then like, cause I guess I also kind of watched the whole John Oliver thing about all the carbon offsets, mm-hmm. which seemed like it was like a lot of money was going for that too, which then also just kind of seemed like we're not really even doing anything mm-hmm. except giving money to rich people. But since something passed, it just seems that we all just celebrate that. Like we've actually accomplished something or anything when we probably yeah. didn't. I mean, that's the, the that's a difficult dance, right? David Sirota was pointing out that they're claiming that we got, what, 40% of the way, 50% of the way to our climate goals. But something like 30% of that was already built into existing policies. So they're really bragging about like, 15 to 20% of change. Uh, and, and so you can't really say like, it's nothing uh, without seeming like you're being really bad faith, but it's so marginal. And we know what 
cut points we have to get to to keep the worst of climate disaster from coming, that it might as well be nothing. And it's difficult to thread that needle rhetorically without seeming like you're just a big angry leftist who's afraid to acknowledge there's any win from the Democrats, right? I'm dealing with that right now. Somebody in my life's parents listen to the podcast and they think, you know, they're typical, very lovely, but typical liberals, you know, and they think I'm being very unfair to Joe Biden, you know, and it's like, okay, well, I want to be conscious of the fact that there are people like that who might tune in. And I want to make sure that I, like, I, I, you know, give credit where it's due without losing track of what we haven't done and without providing cover for Biden, who very purposefully has made political decisions over the course of the 18 months that got a $6 million bill trimmed down to a $3 million bill, got trimmed down to a $1.7 million bill, got trimmed down to whatever the hell this was that just got passed. Uh, yeah. And not to mention, you're right, all of this stuff with the mansion side deal or who even knows what the final tally is going to be over under on the benefits. Now, all of the, all of the green uh, energy people say that this is legitimately a good bill for them and that it provides more opportunities for them to develop clean energy than like ever before, which, you know, I'm happy for them to celebrate that as a win for them, but it doesn't do a lot in terms of our current um, uh, greenhouse gas output. Go ahead. But I guess, but I guess that's my biggest thing. It's yeah, like everything that could possibly be possible are things that either don't exist yet or is hope. And like the things that we actually know would work and we can do that would make everybody's life better were all the things that we did not do and put in the bill. And I feel like in, as left media or leftists like that should be like the only thing we're talking about so like people don't forget it and be like no this is what's next i tend to agree and that's why you have a lot of people that's why we have slate writing articles trying to attack david sirota for continuing to shine a spotlight on how much more we could have had and how much we need to have uh, had happen um but i appreciate you calling in with that i'm going to move on to the next guest while and give nick a chance to respond while i pull someone else up I, I, I'll just be I'll just be real quick on the climate. I don't know why people pretend it's an, it's a negotiation. <laughs> like these test climate, we can negotiate climate. Any climate action that is not real is a waste of time. You have the top one percent that emit more carbon emissions Hello? than the bottom fifty percent of the global working class, and they, and this bill gives them more money. <laughs> Like, are we right. serious about this or not? The military, the largest polluter in human history. Any bill that don't go after that is a is a waste of time. Taylor Swift, just her alone, emits more carbon emissions every year with her private jet than you do. And not about sacrifices that we have to make. It's about class level. And any climate action level is literally a waste of time. That's my take on that. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. Shane, you're up. Let us know what's on your mind tonight. Hey, yeah, um, Nick, I heard you mention uh, Iran-Contra earlier and like, I don't know, just for me, that's like the, like the dark center of everything. But um, yeah, that, that is what got me down the hole. That was it. That was turned me to the anti-imperialist person I am now. But go ahead. Yeah, like, I'll I'll just, yeah, last last thing on that is uh, uh, some friends of mine were doing research in their, like the you know, what they came up with is that they think the whole Iran-Contra thing was to essentially stabilize the U.S. dollar with oil tankers in the wake of, like, 
Nixon taking us off the gold standard, but obviously that's a whole nother conversation. Um, yeah, what I really wanted to ask you, Brianna, is what you made of, um, what you make of figures like Hawes. Do you know, do you know Hawes, like in the infrared thing? No. Who's Hawes? He's like, um, he's like trying to take over the CPUSA, you know, the Communist Party of America. I first came across him, um, yeah, like those guys who were doing research on Iran-Contra, they also did like a really fascinating set of research on like Newfoundland in Canada and how it was like exploited to kind of get us into World War trying to get us into World War One, and then, you know, there were, like, it, it was used for its mineral deposits, basically. A lot of weird things happened. And they were having a conversation with, yeah, Haas, he, he's like a Twitch streamer. I'm really not into that space. But um, in this conversation, he said some really interesting stuff about, like, the thing that really got me was, he was like, there's never been a Marxist-Leninist thing in America. Like, he... he derided any leftism in America as cosplay. I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that totally, but I I took the point where he's like, you know, you have a lot of people on the left who like axiomatically just are are like, oh, China's the worst. And he was kind of saying like, well, that's an actual version of leftism. Like, you know, Xi Jinping has seen like, like he's kind of transformed his economy through like he's seen it go through these stages and it's like actually working um but he's been a huge proponent of like this whole abolish the fbi thing and kind of saying like hey like forget about the pop politics of it but like and kind of put aside aesthetics for a moment but like vibe out with the right-wing people who are calling to abolish the fbi and more and more I kind of like you know linking those two things like the left has only ever barely existed in America and then you have these people calling to abolish the FBI it's like I just think it'd be cool if everybody just like put down all the politics like put down all the minutia of being like oh well you know it's going to take a long time to get these people to get together and like it's going to take a long time to convince Marjorie Taylor Green voters that like the left isn't toxic but it's like we'll just go with the vibe of it because i think the aesthetics come later like somebody earlier was talking about like how you know we just call right-wing people fascists and it's like i don't know like i think they're mostly i think they're vibing out on donald trump you know where they're just like hey like this is this guy who's like kind of saying some stuff i agree with kind of saying some stuff i'm not sure about but like they're catching the vibe and maybe the fbi could be like something for the left yeah, so I don't know that I agree with every aspect of what you're saying because I do think that there are details that matter and I'm not willing to commit to vibes in particular. I think what I like about this Marjorie Taylor Green moment is that it's something extremely specific that doesn't actually lend itself to bleed. She's saying abolish the FBI. Without changing a single word of that sentence, I agree with her. You know? So I, like, to the extent that that's a vibe, I am completely on, on board with that project. But I do think that there is, there is, I'm sorry, and maybe you disagree with me on this, Nick. I do think there is a danger of entering into worlds and broadly co-signing everything that is happening in a space or a world. I think that you can show that you have credibility by agreeing where you sincerely agree. 
without pretending that you agree about a bunch of the other stuff that might not be that important to you, but throws other members of your coalition under the bus. And what I've experienced is that even if someone doesn't agree with you on, say, some specific issue, let's say it's, you know, criminal justice issues or racism or trans issues, trans rights and things like that. At the end of the day, if you demonstrate a commitment to the issues that the other person does care about and are willingness to fight for those issues, then they're happy for other issues to be coming along on the ride. The concern isn't about, and this is what the woke people have, you know, the woke, the anti-woke people have realized. It's not really about saying, you know, you know, there's some random trans kid playing in some football league somewhere and I'm big mad about it. It's the idea that somebody else who's very different than you is getting a leg up and a special advantage and more attention and more money and more rights. It's the relative nature of it. And once you say, well, I care about your rights and your interests and your family's survival too, whatever that trans kid is doing or the black kid is doing or whomever, it just becomes less critical to the political conversation. And all of that happens without throwing the interests of the black kid or the trans kid under the bus. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I actually, I actually uh, agree with a lot of that. And I, I mentioned the same thing. That's why um, I really don't advocate because I think we can lead by example. And the reason why they don't is mainstream right? But if we want to boss that Nick, you're guy, glitching a little and, bit. Uh, Nick, I'm sorry. We're, we're um, missing some of what you're saying. Yeah, I'm sorry. I think my connection uh, messing up. You can you can pass to the next caller while I fix it. It seems kind of clear now. Just go ahead and finish your thought. All right, uh, let's go. I'll pretty much agree with what you said. I think when you form code, and I and I've seen this with people who follow my work, like when I when I'm dragging people to the right when they agree with me on one issue, and I I am relentless in calling out the hypocrisy. Like I will mock and call out the people who still like Trump, but they agree with me on abolishing the FBI, or they may agree with me with anti-war rhetoric. But then I I will explain to them like I did a segment on Tucker Carlson. And I'll explain, like, why he's full of shit, <laughs> he, why he's a phony. And then just by these conversations, the educational uh, opportunities, you can take a coalition and then eventually take these people who, who are acting in good faith. That's why they form a coalition with you. You can drag them on on their side on other issues. I've talked to a friend who had, who knows a lot of racist people. Uh, we Once again, I'm in Missouri. You got to remember where I'm from. And he would drag them on the left on one issue. He would get them to agree with marijuana legalization, mm-hmm. but they still kind of a bigot. But he chipping away. They eventually mm-hmm. agreed with healthcare reform, and then eventually he, they were like, "Yeah, I don't know why I had them all big, bigoted beliefs." And that's the long term process that, as a proletariat, that we must engage with, instead of the booty uh, politics of cutting off people who don't have the exact academic um, take on every single issue. So I, I mostly agree with what you said. Um, yeah, I'll pass right to, back to you. But right, don't Nick, don't you Shane, think there's there's a like a a danger of like this is the one danger I see with like agreeing with because I I'm I'm mostly on your side like abolish the FBI take yes for an answer but like if you abol if you get them to agree to abolish the FBI on any level the infrastructure is probably already in place for like the local police to take up that role like whatever like if you're saying like like abolish the FBI, they're still going to do like the bad racist 
anti-leftist activity. It's already, I mean, that the local police is already, isn't it? Can, can I add one, one bit of context that I think it's important in the total conversation where people are warning people about forming coalition with people on the right wing? A lot of right wing voters are just to the left of Joe Biden. That's just a fact. Like, if you look at the polls, uh, most conservatives want a public option. Around 40% want Medicare for all. Around 60% want to decriminalize marijuana. Around 52% want to legalize them. So I think this is in response yeah, to what you're saying. Yeah, but that's, that's, no, no, that's kind okay, of what wait. I mean by Biden. I, I'm going I'm to answer your question, Shane. I'm going to go ahead and move. I got to get through some more people. So I'm going to pull Drake Drayson up. Um, so, but I don't want people to add on more to the question as what's been happening. So, uh, I, I I think that you're. I don't know is the answer. I think that I would love to have someone who is actually expert about designing these policies and the history and the structure of some of these institutions. An actual abolitionist who's written substantively on this to come and talk about it. Regretfully, a lot of them are not wanting to get in this space and aren't want, wanting to talk about this, and that's a real frustration. I do think that every cop movie you ever watch has some tee off fight between the FBI and the local police, which suggests to me that there's some overlap and du- duplicity there that is not not duplicity, um, but do. Duplication there that it's not um, necessary, uh, but I think that you're completely right to ask that question, and I think that structurally it's probably a lot easier to get rid of the FBI than people are thinking of. But to your point that there's still a bad person there who could do bad things, yeah, that's why you need to have substantive reform across everything. It's not going to be one institution, but I think a very well-funded institution with no accountability the way the FBI are is a problem in and of itself and worth getting rid of. Drayson, uh, oh, I'm sorry, Nick, unless you had something to say. I'm going to let Drayson go ahead and ask this question. I'm sorry, if I, am I pronouncing your name right? Yeah, you are. It, I'm in Kentucky, so it, can you hear me? I can hear you, and I think some crickets also. <laughs> right, right. So, I, you know, I talked, I think you brought me up, it's been a few weeks ago, and I continue to say, like, we over, like, professionalize some of these conversations. And mm-hmm. so I'm from Kentucky, and I live, recently moved back to Chicago. And I think oftentimes, like, I think we assume that, you know, these white conservatives are somehow don't understand the left position when it really is so simple. I ran, you know, a local race in Kentucky and got a lot of support for talking about a lot of the left positions. And but that's neither here nor there. I want to talk about more so like AOC, in my opinion about the leaders of the left. Do you think we spend way too much time speaking about the squad versus like now considering them just a part of the corporate Democrats? You know, because I know all about Fred Hampton and all the radicals of the black movement and they're nowhere near that. And I think sometimes we sort of like allow them to be aligned with a movement that they are have never been a part of especially when we talk about left policies is it just like practical to assume that they are now a part of corporate democrats and especially as alc gets more uh it gets more articles written about her being uh potentially a presidential candidate there is no assumption she has not shown that she would even that she's accountable to any left politics. So do you think it's a waste of time to con- to continue to speak, a- to try to pull her or hold her accountable to left policies? 
Yeah, I got you, Drayson. Go ahead and take that one, Nick. And Amanda, I'm coming to you next. Can you hear me now? It takes a while. I, I, yeah, I can hear you. All right, sorry. Oh, I think sorry. you just muted yourself again. There you go. <laughs> I think you muted yourself again, Nick. You're unmuted, but I don't hear you. All right, I'll go ahead and start. Maybe it's my Wi-Fi. I, Hello? Look, my in, in my job, in my role... Oh, hey, Nick. Okay, I'm going to keep going. In my role, I have to extend the benefit of the doubt more than other people do is my feeling about it. I don't think it changes the conversation for me to be like, you know, AOC's a, a fraud. Now, I think it's perfectly reasonable for me to say, and I do say... I don't put a lot of faith in electoralism anymore, right? But just like if if we do what you say and treat AOC just like all of the other Democrats, I think that's right. And all of the Democrats should be pressured to do more for the people that they represent. Now, I would argue that the way you pressure AOC is different than the way you pressure Abigail Spanberger because AOC has at least at some point articulated a desire to do the things that I want her to do. So I can use a different kind of leverage on her than I can someone like Abigail Spanberger or Joe Biden, who has never pretended to want to do the things that I want to do. So I still think there is some value in using, you know, using the fact that she identifies as a leftist to apply pressure on her. And to that extent, I will talk about how she used to be, how she presented, what she ran on, things like that. But some people in the comments I see saying things like, oh, Brianna, you still believe in them or you still give them credit or why doesn't she get it and stuff like that. And it's like, well, no, like I'm playing a rhetorical game here. <laughs> like and me and I think I'm going to get a lot farther and like people play different roles. But and like some people should say fraud squad. I right, completely right. support that. Like, that's fine. Everybody's, you know, different structure, different folks. But like I, there are people, like I said, who listen to this show who are trying to figure out what's right. And I don't. I want to see him as a, cred, a like a credible actor, you know, a, a good faith actor who's not driven by personal animus in the same way that I think that was effective in that jank debate. And to that extent, I'm I, I'm, right. I'm trying to cast a little bit of a broader net and, a, and have a different approach when it comes to the squad members. But go ahead, Nick. Yeah, can you hear me now? Sorry, the yeah, app is you. kind of uh, glitching. Can you hear me? Yeah, loud and clear. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I was about to say I'll keep it very short. I know we we trying to get through the callers. Uh, the reason why I kind of I call out and I, I kind of pick on the squad is the same reason why I used to call out Barack Obama. We are not a corporate movement. Like we got people donating their hard-fought money for AOC to give it to corporate Democrats. So I'm not telling people to cancel these people. I want you to know who they are. And we don't have resources to waste on politicians who are not going to fight for us. We got to be smart with our resources, so we got to know exactly who we donate them to. And when you're a politician, you got to keep that that eye on them because they ultimately cycle resources that could go to this other anti Oh, no, you're cutting out again. I ain't going to take too okay. much time, but I agree with both of you. The problem is, I would say... I love you, Brianna, and I love Nick. The problem is, is that too often on the left, we do not highlight voices, in my opinion, voices that are black, especially who understand the Black Panther Party and other radical black people. 
And because even with this whole, I think so many of our white progressive partners are uh, sort of allergic to the word abolish, even though that Mm -hmm. has been central to the black movement. And that's all I have to say. I am not going to take up too much time. There's a lot of people to take up too much time. But I appreciate both of you. Keep doing what you're doing. I really, 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 really appreciate you. Thank you so much for calling in. I appreciate you and keep the faith. All right, Amanda, you're up next. Nick, I don't know if you know, but we have been able to hear you throughout that. Um, but I think we, your point, your last point did land. Um, and hopefully, yeah, you can, can, hear, can you hear me now, Bree? I'm actually my, uh, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. Yeah, I'm a, here. Can I um, do one plug? Can you guys follow uh, Revolutionary Discourse? Calling as well. Always good to talk to you. I think my phone might be, that's why it's glitching as well. Always yeah, no good to talk worries. to you, and, um, Always good. Thank you so, so, so much for donating your time, being so generous with your time tonight. Yes, please do go sh- follow RBN, follow Socialist MMA on Twitter. I learn a lot from you guys. You guys do great content, really interesting streams. You cover a lot of really good content, and I think from an angle that is fresh and much needed on the left. So thank you again, Nick. Yeah, appreciate you, Bree. Love your perspective. Talk to you guys later. All right. Bye, Bye Nick. All right, Amanda, Brianna, bring us home tonight. Brianna, so I want to speak to the misunderstanding or people not listening to the whole thing when you're presenting a, a radar or one of your podcasts. And I'm not going to tell you anything that you don't already know, maybe just remind you of stuff that you used to know but you forgot. Because mm-hmm. you're a communications person, right? So one of the things... <laughs> Well, I think you I think you are. I think you do a great job in getting into the nuances. But I'm going to give a critique because here's what happened this morning. I was watching Useful Idiots and then I was on the call in and Aaron Mate um, brought up your position from from the from your your recent podcast. But he Mm -hmm. missed the point that the point was to put forward legislation, not to just like get in bed with the people that are saying we should abolish FBI, but to take the moment to not just say we should abolish the FBI. But as you're saying that have, and by the way, here's the legislation that can do it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really what you have been saying. And, and the fact that Aaron Monte, who I think is, quite smart and critical and on your side that he missed that part of it, which I thought was, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, is kind of the important point, taking the opportunity. Oh, we're talking about the FBI. We got this thing to fix the FBI, right? And we've got it in our back pocket. Yeah, it was such an important point, in fact, that after, like, so I think it came out, I, I was, I refined the point in the conversation with the Vanguard guys. And then really, I think, stated it quite clearly in the context of the conversation with Jank. And I felt like it was such an important point that I did a whole new radar about it last Wednesday. That was a rehash of the, should we, you know, abolish the FBI conversation, specifically about that point. And I used a clip from the Alex Vitale interview on uh, Democracy Now! to really try to press home his arguments about all of the legislation that already exists that in lieu of new legislation could also be emphasized in this moment. So yeah, I completely agree with you. 
So you also then said something at the beginning of this call-in that gave me another clue, because as soon as I saw that, that Aaron had missed one of the points that seemed really important, I thought, oh my gosh, so how did that happen? Because he doesn't usually miss stuff like that. So, so I was thinking it through, and then you said something at the beginning of the call-in, you said that, that you talked about how you construct your radars, and the construction is designed for the way that attorneys expect things to be put forward, not necessarily for the regular public. And, and you give people the criticisms of the, of the idea before you get to the punchline. And maybe, maybe by reversing it, at least, you know, it, as a former English teacher, I'm just going to say, you know, you, you give the topic, you explain it, you give the topic, right? That maybe, maybe part of the misunderstanding and not listening is, is that because you give such a good nuanced explanation, and people are super short attention span sometimes, they, they grab onto the first thing they can. And if it's a criticism, even though it's a criticism you're knocking down, they're still going to grab it as a criticism, right? Think. Yeah, no, I think it's definitely fair that, you know, whenever you do a video, you have to expect that people don't get to the end and to try to front load what your thesis statement is. One of the things I do like about the radars is that they put those bullet points down the side that are supposed to be an inducement for folks to want to stick stick around into the inflammatory bullet point at the bottom. And right. to be really honest, I'm usually finishing a radar at like midnight before I have to be <laughs> up in, in a studio chair with hair and makeup done at eight. And so and you were going to call in for three hours before that. Right. So <laughs> the, the part where I'm like editing for, you know, the way I would an article, let's say, with a nut graph on top to make sure that people get to the, the point of the article is not often what ends up happening. And the radars often end up being kind of a um, really reflective of how the arguments put out in my head. It came out of my head onto the paper and that's it. There was no time for revision. So I, I think you're completely right uh, that many, many times there's a world right just foreground the thing but also to be honest like just because something is i think a key point to the argument it doesn't necessarily mean that i think it's it deserves to be up front because another thing that is true is that i'm i'm not pitching something like this and i haven't heard the aaron mate thing and you know uh, you, you know I don't no know he was it was positive no 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 it was it was positive he just missed that one he got the other two points yeah, okay, got no, the other no worries. And there's yeah, no, yeah. I, mean, I, I like Aaron. Sometimes people just yeah. misunderstand each other. It's not a big deal. But yeah. th talking to this conservative audience, this more conservative audience at the Hill, it's also trying to not give anything, any, anybody anything too early that they're not ready for. You know, you got to, there's this feeling I have that you have to prime the, you have to earn your punchline with them, especially if mm. the punchline is something that they wouldn't ordinarily necessarily agree with because it's a leftist point of view. So I've been thinking about doing a radar, for example, about the student debt, th debt stuff this week, because that's we're coming up at the end of the month and the end of the moratorium. And I've been reflecting on the pushback that I get on the show when I bring back student loan debt and what my entry point should be. And I think that if I do another student debt radar, it's going to have to be unrecognizable as a student debt radar until at least a third of the way through. And it's got to be about, you know, people don't respect work. You know, people think that there's this thing called, you know, unskilled labor, when in the reality, you all know from all of the work that you do in your lives, how difficult it is to do it. 
And we see these videos of farm workers, you know, figuring out how to pick these things so quickly and people working in the kitchens and restaurants, you can slice a, a onion up in three seconds without losing a finger. And it's so obvious that all of these things require skill and training and experience. So why is it that we live in a country that doesn't value training our Americans to have skill and value and experience? Why is it that all of our semiconductors are being made in Taiwan and that we're basically going to go into World War III over this? Because we honestly don't even have people who are trained in the ways that can make these things, uh, trained in the skills that can enable us to bring a lot of these jobs back overseas. Even if we hadn't outsourced them, we're now in a position where we have not that many Americans who actually can work the jobs, even if we bring them back home. This is true of jobs that require vocational expertise. This is true of jobs that require other kinds of degreed requirements, whether it's engineers and things like that. And the reality is we create an enormous disincentive in this country for people to get that kind of training, whether it's to drive a truck or to design a computer or a semiconductor, because we charge more for the right to be educated than any other country in the world. You know, I, and I think about it. I th I've been thinking about that, you know, like how much mm -hmm. preamble do I have to get in there? So that people can see the idea of student debt as something or vocational debt or any kind of educational debt as something that's holding back someone like them and not just some Ivy League weenie like me, you know, and, you know, it, it's difficult. It is something I think about, but there, I could do a radar like that and somebody could say, oh, Brianna, I didn't even get to the end where you said all these great stats about how many seniors are having their Social Security checked garnished. And it's like, well, yeah, that's the risk. That's the risk of doing that. But there's also the risk that if I front load with education is a human right, that I'm going to lose mm -hmm. a bunch of people, you know, who don't already mm -hmm. agree that education is a human right. So I, I take your point and it's all a grand experiment. And I think that sometimes your way, the way that you're describing is going to be more effective. But, you know, I'll tell you for myself, I, 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 the, one of the reasons why I really appreciate you is is I understand it the way that you put it out in those radars. So I think about it in the same ways that you do, which is one of the reasons why I really appreciate you. Because I feel like a lot of times you're speaking out of my head, which is awesome. That's well, that's, I mean, that's the best kind of compliment to hear. So I really do. I really do appreciate that. Go eat I'm, your I'm, salmon. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, look, I will look. So that's a good, place to leave off thank you so much for calling amanda i know this is a long queue you we got it get through a ton of people but we'll be back on thursday i appreciate all of you and i'm gonna gonna keep trying to move through the line and bring new fresh faces up so don't despair if you're kind of in the back of a long queue um i want to address one of the comments uh that said asked about dr west and why he hasn't been on the show in a while uh, i actually just booked him for an episode i think it's next week i think it's the first week of september so stick around for that. He will be back. Um, and let's go ahead and end with uh, some music from someone who was featured as a comment and one of the questions that we got this evening. And uh, I will see you guys later this week. Take care. Keep I the faith. Too late. Got nothing in my brain.